I say, no, I want that sticky rice pudding on my face. All the joys of accidental parenthood. Oh, tell me about it. Welcome, Tomei, about it. Welcome, one and all, Aunt Tomei. Welcome, one and all, to a big damn cast. I am Jesus of Nazareth. And I am Jesus of Texas. And we have naught but joy this week in our hearts, for the most part. Because we's gonna talk about some shit. It's part two of our Spider-Month podcast nonsense bollocks. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Last week we talked about the Raimi trilogy. This week we are talking The Amazing Spider-Man. The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Electro Boogaloo. (laughs) With then, I'm surprised no one's made that joke before. Then, no, they probably definitely have. We are going to talk about our review of the the newest Spider-Man movie. We're not going to review it. We're just going to talk about our review. Yeah, we're just, about <laughs> just fifty minutes of a blank screen. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, Marvel's Spider-Man Homecoming, and then we're going to get some spoiler thoughts about that. So if you haven't seen it yet, you don't want to spoil. Keep an eye on them. Time code Sun Sun. Then we're going to uh, talk about the Doctor Who finale because uh, we can talk about it now because the last podcast was recorded ahead of it actually going out. So yep. that's why we didn't talk about it last week. And we're going to answer some of your emails. And we're going to have a gay old time, just like the Flintstones. <laughs> so, <laughs> or like I don't know, Quentin Crisp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or Ian McKellen on a night on the brandy. Yeah. Gay old time. Oh yeah. I'd love to go out on. I'd, I'd love to go out on the piss with, with Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. I'd love to go out on. I'd love to. I'd love to piss on them. I'd love for them to piss on me. Oh, go I'm, on the piss. I'm with... not really into like water sports, so <laughs> I mean, if that's your thing, fair enough. But it's not. It's you not really shall me. not piss. You <laughs> shall not pass water. Wizard, see you and see you and see you. Okay. <laughs> um, but Let's... first off, we have to. Some sad news and a tribute to one of the great um, unsung heroes of yeah, modern popular not, culture. Not so much, not so much a creative in her own right, but certainly the main support behind, you know, one of the uh, architects of the, of the modern superhero genre. There is there is um, an oft-used phrase which is, you know, based on on how you feel about it. Understandably, either irks you or inspires you. But there's the the oft-used phrase is behind every great man. There's a great woman. And now, forget all the things that surround yeah. that. Here is a case of that being a thing. A great woman in her own right, but certainly responsible for his biggest leaps and biggest contributions um, and being his inspiration. Uh, we lost Joan Lee mm-hmm. last week. Uh, Joan Lee, model, actress, and businesswoman. Um, and wife to Stanley Lieber, to Stanley. Um, the reason why I bring up the the phrase, you know, behind every great man, is simply because if you think, well, I don't know who that is. Like, it's a shame she's gone, but I don't really know who it is. She's responsible for most of your childhood. Yeah. Uh, existing. And a lot of the characters you grew up loving being a thing, including, of course, this week's topic, Spider-Man. Like, she was she was directly a force behind Amazing Fantasy's last issue. Uh, also. And the gamble he took. Well, it was, I think it was more with Fa- Fantastic Four. Specifically, that, uh, yeah. is, that is her... She is the radioactive spider bite of the Marvel Universe, Yeah, uh, to put it that way. Um, Stanley 
was working for. They were Marvel. They were Marvel comics by this point, weren't they? Were they, they, were, they weren't timely anymore. It, they, were, they, um, were, they were Marvel, but it was all. Um, it was it was anthology titles. It was tales. Tales to Suspense, Tales to Astonish, Journey into Mystery, yeah. Amazing Adult Fantasy, and it was and every issue was like three stories about a giant monster or space aliens or cowboys and Indians. Yeah. Sometimes romance comics they dwindled out a bit toward the start. Of the uh, 60s. They were still doing like um, Linda Carter, Student Nurse, and things like that. And then yeah. you had uh, Two Gun, Ki- uh, yeah, Rawhide Kid, Two Gun Kid. The original Ghost Rider was a Western comic without any supernatural elements. Yeah, but Mar- Marvel, um, when it was timely back in the day, was publishing superhero stuff like like they were over was, at DC's it, then incarnation. Like they were making it were DC National Comics, I think. I can't remember now. I'm not sure. I think DC were DC by that point. But the, um, but basically, the the, uh, the whole stuff with Frederick Wortham and Seduction of the Innocent in the fifties led to various censorships and interference with the comic book medium, and the comic book code was introduced, and everything became very strict and. Like, couldn't be too fanciful and everything had to be censored. So Marvel stepped away from superheroes specifically. Well, I mean, they, were, they never went hard into it like DC did. They had, they, they, no, they had like Namor, Captain America, Namor, the Human Torch. Yeah, Human Torch, that's about it. Um, but they, really, they still like no. sold those books, like oh, Marvel yeah, Comics. Yeah. They, they were pushing those and then they sort of backed away and DC stopped for a second and then softened everything and la la la. But then DC started to get a bit bold again toward the late 50s, early 60s. They went, screw it, we're going to... You know, we're going to start being a bit more superhero oriented Brave, again. Yeah. Like, let's do it. Brave yeah. and bold. And Justice League, I believe, was the title that broke the bank again. People got excited for it. Oh, look, a bunch of superheroes we know together. Uh, Justice League first appeared in. I think Justice Society had been the thing during mm-hmm. the Golden Age. Yeah. And then the Justice League, as we know it, first appeared in an issue of Brave and the Bold, which was one of their team up titles. Which was uh, like it's that famous cover with Starro yeah, and yeah. Uh, Wonder Woman and. Um, Martian Manhunter, I think, is it there Might by that be. point? And, and the Green Lantern and Flash. And it's like, oh, cool! That looks pretty sweet! So Martin Goodman, then, like, owner of Marvel, pretty much, the editor-in-chief, turned around to Stanley, was writing, like, on the monster books and the sci-fi books and the westerns and the romances. He was saying, right, go on, superheroes, we'll do superheroes. And Stan went, okay, you know, I, I liked that. I think he dipped into Captain America toward the end of its run. So he was like, okay, I'll... I work for that, but can I can I make it into and Martin Goodman just went, no, it's just whatever, just just action, just give us a bunch of action. Like that's what the kids want to buy. They want to buy action, big splash pages, like explosions, punching, like that. Just give us that bunch of superheroes punching stuff. Like just make up your own superheroes and, and make them a group. And it was clear that he saw what direction could be profitable for the company, but he didn't see the potential. In the storytelling and the substance, it was all style. Over it was a money man. Yeah, which you know, to be fair, like it was selling books. And if he hadn't asked Stan to do a team book, then we wouldn't get the eventual thing. But Stan was ready to quit at this point. Like he wasn't able to tell the stories he wanted to tell, and it was Joan who turned around to him and said, "Look, write this first issue of this book the way you want to do it, because mm-hmm. you want to quit." So what's the worst that can happen? If your idea doesn't work, or he gets annoyed that you did your thing, he'll fire you. You already want to quit. Just do it. So he talked the ideas through with her and said what he wanted to do. And then he did it. And Fantastic Four issue one went out. And it sold like hotcakes. Ironically, the hotcakes weren't selling as well at that point, but... The no, book well, it's because people were spending their pocket money on Fantastic Four issue one. Yeah, as well they should. <laughs> as well, everyone should. And that sort of 
brought back his confidence and his, his ability to be able to tell stories. Martin Goodman saw the impact it had and went, okay, fair enough. Okay, fine. What do you want to do next, Stan? Just give me more. Give me more superheroes. What do you and the guys in the art team and everything want to do? So the snowball effect began. We get Iron Man. We get the Incredible Hulk. We get the X-Men. We eventually get Spider-Man. Again, Jones' input. Amazing adult fantasy was going. Stan wanted to do a teenage superhero. Martin Goodman said, no, teenagers are the sidekicks. Like, no, not happening, not happening. Jones said, just put it in that book that's dying. So he did. And mm-hmm. Amazing Fantasy 15 sells crazy. They take the word adult out of it. So it's, you know, trying to aim more at kids. It sells amazing. Year later, Spider-Man gets his own title. Like, it wasn't even that long. Because the next issue of Amazing Fantasy never actually came out. Yeah. Because that was the end of the title, wasn't it? It was, it was, the book was going. The book was going to die. Yeah, yeah. And that's why she was like, put it in there then. Because again, what's the worst that's going to happen? The title's ended. He's not going to yeah. complain. So they get so they, a few months later, they turned in they turned it into Amazing Spider-Man and relaunched it with number one. Amazing Spider-Man one, one of the most boring covers for a number one. In they don't history. suspect my real power, he yeah. says, with his crotch pressed against his glass panel. I wonder what that real power is, teenager <laughs> Peter Parker. Even that book used the Fantastic Four to shift the issue. If, you, was, if you'd missed Amazing was, Fantasy fifteen, yeah, yeah. You're picking up the Amazing Spider-Man because it's a new guy in a creepy costume. They do the Fantastic that Four on the like cover, one page. Yeah, there's some. But um, it's, it's that weird thing of like the front cover is sold on the fact the Fantastic yeah. Four are on the cover. What a weird parallel universe the '60s oh, is compared man. to now. I was rereading some early... Reed Richardsing. Well, I know because I've I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've been rereading a lot of Spider-Man recently because we're doing this Spider Month. Mm. But I was um, I opened up uh, Marvel Masterworks. Yeah, Spider-Man Volume One. So I read last night. I read Amazing Fantasy Fifteen and Amazing Spider-Man One in bed. It's still pretty great. Yeah, I mean, like dated. And they're, they're very, primitive, they're very snippy but, and quick as yeah, well. But and... like, oh, big bold colors, especially especially in those new color like the digital recolors that you get in like the modern versions of the Masterworks, like the more, the more recent printings, or in the Epic collections. Like, oh man, really gorgeous. Ditko's take on Spider-Man, like his look, because obviously Steve Ditko, co-creator of the character, like his look is sort of those long limbs, and he's a, he's clearly a scrawnier kid than yeah, a lot of the yeah. other heroes he'd been drawing, and it, it's it's such a stark difference. But again, we don't get those bold choices without no. Joan pushing Stan to do it. Um, like In terms of dipping into the mythos, she, she was part of the business and everything with Power Entertainment. Uh, she dipped in and out of performing as well in some of the stuff. Well, I found out this week that she was the voice of Madame Webb in the 90s Spider-Man show. Yeah, yeah. I'd had no idea. Excellent She's... performance. One of the more memorable voice, Like, her and Kingpin, probably the two most memorable vocal performances in that show. 2% of my body <laughs> is fat. True facts. <laughs> Experience um... what 350 pounds of muscle can do. Oh my god, he's bear-hugging me to death. <laughs> oh, I can feel his erection pressing because against my we, knees. Because we can't punch people in this show. <laughs> we can fire guns, but they have to be lasers for some reason. <laughs> oh god. But yeah, so Joan Lee, uh, the, I mean, obviously it's tragic to lose anyone in your life, but it's sort of, it's significantly, you know, sort of... Um, Someone you've been married to for that long. They were approaching their 70th anniversary. Jesus. I think Stan's 93 or 94, yeah. and Joan was 95 when she passed. I don't think I'm going to make it to 70, let alone a 70th <laughs> wedding anniversary. I'm not even married yet. It's nuts, but they were a team right up to the end. Apparently, she, from what we know, wasn't sick for very long. 
think I, I think I, I'm not, I might have misread this, but I'm pretty sure one article said that she'd had a stroke. Yeah. Passed away shortly after. And it, it, it was mentioned, yeah. mentioned that she was surrounded by a family, so it's, it's, so. you know, it, it was, it was sort of expected, but still quite sudden. Um, and, I mean, God, the stuff they've been through together, I mean, it's not, uh, and just the time and everything they've spent in each other's lives and being a part of each other's world. Um, if you ever see any interviews with Joan Lee, they're definitely worth a watch. There's uh, bits and pieces across the years on things. One I can most notably think of is uh, the 2002 DVD, if you can get hold of it, um, Stan Lee, Mutants, Monsters and Marvels which is a, a two-disc, two-documentary DVD set um, put together by Kevin Smith. One of them is mostly just him sat down with Stan in a comic book store asking him questions, and the other is sort of a bit of a documentary about Stan's life, and there's some excellent stuff with Joan in that, filmed at their home and everything. It's really sweet. It's just, it's, you know, a big loss, and I just, I hope, I hope Stan the man, like, I hope that the, the creative juice in him continues because like she always strive for him to keep oh, yeah. making and being yeah. his best um but obviously you know our thoughts go out to the lee family and um and you know their their, their business partners and everything at this time because mm-hmm. losing joan is a big thing for everything involved in their life so it's you know it's it's sad but we just want to take a moment to acknowledge joan lee essentially the reason we're here talking about a bunch of this stuff yeah too right so Raise a glass. Um, oh, raise a mug. We'll raise a, we'll raise a mug. Raise John a Lee. Mug. John Lee. There we go. Um, now, from something, you know, quite disheartening to something quite disheartening. Oh. In a flippant, facetious way, but still. Yes. We're continuing our cinematic journey of Spider-Man with The Amazing Spider-Man 2012. Matt, tell me where you were state of mind-wise in the run-up to this being a thing. Um, Pretty excited. Uh, saw that trailer stuff. Was like, oh, this... That's that's a good looking Spider Man. I think Andrew Garfield's a good choice. This Man, that's a bad outfit. Yeah. <laughs> this is not long after you're in your room. pimp outfit, like watching him swing away. Man, that's a bad outfit. I can't. I can't. I can't do that. Um, I can't. I can't do that voice. I get in trouble. Um, so the most the, the one moment in Superman the movie that dates it so badly yep. but it's still a really infectiously fun moment it's just like oh really infectiously fun like St. Vitus's dance <laughs> um, <laughs> I will uh, buy a drink for any of our readers who get that without <laughs> researching it um, any of our readers any of our listeners um, oh no readers, I'll keep listeners. it to readers that way I don't have to buy any drinks uh, hey, hey um so you were, you were geared. That was, was geared Andrew Garfield's Andrew casting Garfield, yeah, for it, he, Yeah, because he'd just come out of Social Network, which I love. And I loved him in it. It's a damn good man. Um, and yeah, just a fresh take on it. And like, like early set pics and photos that leaked. Like what, when Gwen Stacy first turns up, Emma Stone first turns up as Gwen Stacy in that movie and she looks like she's straight out of Spider-Man Blue. Mm. With the... With the the thigh high boots and the and the headband and yeah. it's like jeez, but then at the same time, it being fairly fresh and, and a new Peter Parker, and um, you know I like those I like those Remy movies, but as we talked about last week, but they are very much of the '60s Spider-Man, mm. and I was always with been, a, a big ham-fisted chunk of the '90s yeah. forced into the last one. But I've yeah. always been more of a like early 2000s Spider-Man slash Ultimate Spider-Man guy in yeah. terms of what the material that I really have a reverence for. Um, it's like JMS Spider-Man onwards and Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, 
So that kind of feel felt like it was a, that kind of feel felt like it was a bit more there. That's, that's it, felt, it felt like it felt more. It felt more like field. it felt more feel. It felt like a field. I feel like there was more feeling. Strawberry there. fields. Um, so yeah, so forever. I was fairly excited for the movie when it came out. And what about you? I was not looking forward to it. Why at all. so? Well, it's odd because Spy- Spidey's my boy. If we're going to be that, if we're going to be that basic, making lists and shit, like my top three superheroes is probably Superman, Batman, and then Spider-Man in first. Well, I mean, X Men are my boys and girls, <laughs> but I've never liked an X Men movie in the same way that I liked the comics. Fair play. So. But, but with me, it was it was it was more a case. I mean, they're all different for reasons for different reasons. Like Superman for me was always about the movies as a kid. That was the first superhero movie I was really made aware of, and I fell in love with Reeves' performance. So I've always had an admiration for that character. Batman, the animated series, and the Burton films made me fall in love. But Spidey was the one who I followed. Like he was my soap opera. He was the one I bought the comic books of, and I. I was reading religiously, particularly Ultimate Spider-Man. Like, yeah. I followed that along the way. So, when they were like, right, we're rebooting it, I was like, why? For rights reasons. Oh. Okay. <laughs> well, that's a really sort of stupid and shallow reason to do it. Um, but it's going to be sort of a bit closer to Ultimate Spider-Man. I was like, go on. And then I saw the trailers and that that's what finally put me off and settled me because it was the whole not the visuals but the whole the untold story yeah and focusing on like you know what why are you really here peter like what's the what's the spider stuff really about which when you get in the film that isn't the angle at all no the the, no. the stuff with his parents and the research lasts for about the first 10 it's, 20 minutes it's definitely the angle in the sequel Oh yeah. boy, is it the angle in the sequel? But we'll get to that. Yeah. But yeah, that stuff was nowhere near as uh, as important to the movie as those trailers made out. Yeah, um, the movie came out at the time I was living across the road from a cinema, so I went with Lucy over to uh, the View, and I think it was like the week after its release. We were just like, oh, go on, like, let's uh, go on, then. go on, let's go and watch it. And I came out. Pleasantly surprised. I remember quite enjoying it, at least the first time around. I was like, do you um, know what? They abandoned this conspiracy plot pretty early on, and then it just became a Spider-Man movie. I've definitely soured on it since, yeah. though. I think, I think, I think what we've seen since, plus what came after, has sort of caused that effect. But I will say, having not watched it for a couple of years, watching it again all of a sudden last night to recap for this, I was like, Oh god, there is stuff in this I really like. Well, I got to the point where I I got home from work, and I was looking at things to watch, um, on Netflix, and I came across Amazing Spider-Man. I was like, oh, I should watch that because we're going to be talking about it on the podcast tomorrow. And then I hovered over it and saw it was like two hours and twelve minutes long, and I thought <laughs> of what that movie was like. And I, I don't like, need this. You shit. know what? Actually, I'm 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 bored just thinking about this. I'm just thinking about this and I'm already bored. <laughs> so I passed on that. I like to call it The Amazing Bland Man. Yeah. Um So let's get into the let's get into a bit of, of the reason why the movie exists and then we'll talk about the film. So why Sony does the movie exist? Sony part own the rights to Spider Man in any medium outside of the comic book. I think they fully own the rights to Spider Man in film. In film, yes. The contract can come to its end. That is entirely possible. 
like what and happens with why, Daredevil. But that's why this film exists. Yeah. Because Sony had like something like a twenty year deal or whatever from nineteen eighty nine, I think it was, something like that. Spider Man three comes out in two thousand and seven and they because of that there's an extension. Like mm-hmm. there's a natural extension to their ownership of the character in the cinema. Um They've got dibs on him in any medium outside of the comics. Hence why all the animated series were like owned by Sony or Sony companies and things like that. Until Ultimate Spider Man, I think. Yes, because Spectacular Spider-Man was cancelled simply because Disney were like, right, several ties with the previous version, we're making our own, which sucks because I think a lot of people would have agreed you should have just done a co-production with the Sony Animation House and continued Spectacular Spider-Man. And also Ultimate Spider-Man kind of sucks. Yeah. Sucked. Past tense, it's gone. Is it gone now? It's finished. And um, Marvel Spider-Man is up next and the footage of it looks absolutely dreadful. They've not got their head around this animated series business, Marvel, have they? No. Not since Earth's Mightiest Heroes. It really looks dreadful to me, so I've seen the preview clip. They're doing what they did with Earth's Mightiest Heroes, where, like, the origins of some of the characters, or in this case, just the main character, is playing out in these little shorts online before the show starts. And Peter Parker in it is just loud and obnoxious. He's the kid who, like, they ask the science question, and he's like, Oh! Oh! It's like, no, that's not him. No, because there are elements of that in Andrew Garfield's version of the character, which I don't like. I mean, I'll... I like his performance on the whole, but when he veers into that sort of when he's, when he's not on the whole. Yeah. 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 That I'm like, mm, actually, I'm not so keen on this aspect of it. But for the most part, I like his characterization. But but that that was a conscious decision. They were like, we need to do something. We Sam Raimi was meant cooler. to do Sam Raimi was going to do Spider Man four and the studio pressure of number three had really put him off wanting to do another, but there was a story he wanted to tell. As far as we're aware, it would have featured the Vulture played by John Malkovich. Felicia Hardy, played by Anne Hathaway, at first as Black Cat, and then the Vultress. The Vultress leaked out. That's a, that's a thing, isn't it? And uh, rumour was that the film would have opened with an in-progress crime scene sequence featuring Mysterio. What's your favourite bird, Chris? Is it a Vultress? <laughs> Is that your favourite kind the of The fourth bird? movie would have opened. As far as I can tell, it's because she just sort of joins him in like a heist or whatever, so takes on the tech, and they came up with a name. Like New Goblin, like for some reason, um, shit name. But apparently, it would have opened with a sequence, uh, like a mid, you know, um, set piece. Like we, something I've always wanted to see in super films. We talked about this before we recorded. I want to see scenes that show that they deal with supervillain shit all the time. Yeah. Because um, in the movies, like Spider Man and X Men and, and all this, it sort of makes it look like they just deal with it once every two to three years. Um, but it would have opened with a sequence with him in the middle of dealing with Mysterio, played by. Can you have a guess? Um, the man with two chins. Well, worth one of chin. really big Two chin. chins worth of chin. Two chin, two chins in a one chin bag. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Campbell was going to be Quentin Beck in the opening, which I would have loved. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that would have been really cool. Uh, studio interference of behind the scenes, money, budget, this, that and the other. It was just getting to the point where Sam Raimi went, do you know what, I'm walking. And Toby Maguire went, well, if Sam's not going to do it, I don't want to do it. And Kirsten Dunst went, oh, fuck. She was like, oh, thank God, I can stop now. <laughs> and then go on to do... So, uh, the movie <laughs> ceased production and Sam Raimi basically turned around to them and said, and this is, he said this in an interview since, I know you've been working on a plan B, just do it. Do your plan B. Because it turns out they had already been working on a potential reboot in case 4 didn't happen. Which says that they either wanted him to 
bugger off and they possibly wound him up to the point where he did bugger off mm-hmm. and they could claim more control. Because those three movies are very much his apart from the third one which has more interference in, in the production. Yeah, and it shows for the worse. And aside from what Mark Webb does as director, Amazing 1 and 2 are very much movies made by Sony Committee and he's been told, you just, uh, you just, you know, keep it ticking over, yeah? Yeah. Just, yeah. And he tries his best to get his voice in there but he doesn't succeed as much as Raimi does with the first two. But blah, blah, blah. So the reboot's put into production. It had to come out by 2012 for Sony to retain the rights to Spider-Man on film. Mm-hmm. So lo and behold, 2012, The Amazing Spider-Man comes out. It's been five years since the previous version, and I was like, no. No. Like, if you're going to do it again, do it again, fair enough, but like, wait. It didn't strike me at the time that 1997 was when Batman and Robin came out, right? Yeah. Was it 97? No, uh, it was. Yeah, 97. Um, so, Batman Begins, a reboot of the Batman franchise, didn't come out until eight years later. Even then, when Batman Begins came out, the way they sort of advertised it was, oh, it's like the prequel. It's a prequel to Batman. Yeah. because They, in... they didn't make a thing of saying it's its own thing. It's just, this is how Batman became Batman. Because in Batman, mm-hmm. 89, he's already Batman. Yeah. So we just sort of assume going into that movie marketing-wise, that, oh, right, so this is how he becomes Batman in general. Okay, fair enough. By the end of that movie, you realise, oh, this is its own story. Mm. Like Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, it's like a prequel to Planet of the Apes. Unless you've seen the series, in which case you're like, no, that isn't how it starts. It's a time travel thing with them going back. Ah, whatever. But like, you watch it, and then by the end of it, you're like, oh no, it's its own thing. Oh, right, okay. And that works. And David S. Pumpkins is... Part of it! (laughs) Uh, Any questions? Um, So, Amazing Spider-Man just felt too soon to me. But in retrospect, I guess it wasn't. Um, Dying of the Day, 2002. Casino Royale, 2006. Four years. Not soon enough. Now, James Bond, there was a precedent of, well, every now and again we change up the actor, but when you watch Casino Royale, again, it's like, oh, this is like starting from scratch. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's fair enough. assignment. Hmm. But with the confusing choice of having M be played by the same person. Well, you know. Really weird. But anyway. Parallel universes. Oh my god, the James Bond parallel universe theory. Oh! Ties in with the Pixar theory. Um, so, oh god. So I wasn't excited. I saw it and thought it was okay. Now, the film's hook, to try and make you think that it was worth seeing the origin story again, was you don't know all of it. You know the, you know the spider by Uncle Ben? But there's more going on here. Oh, God. Are they going to do the spider totem? Are they going to do the mystical origins of, of, of you know Spider-Man? What? Had it not been for Turn Off the Dark, I think they would have attempted that. I Because Turn Off the Dark doesn't use the totem, but it uses the goddess Arachne and mm. the idea of destiny and, and the web I... of the story being woven. As I said in <laughs> my recent Big Damn Love video, I get that people don't like the spider totem idea, but I... I really oh, it's a fascinating like idea. I, I like it... <laughs> If it's done like that, where it just pops up in a couple of stories, yeah, like, like, if it's got stories about it, I totally dig it. I was like, there's a there's a thread, on, that's why all, most of his villains are animal themed because mm. they're like sort of unconsciously trying to become avatars of whatever totems their animals are. Like, why um, would Kirk Connors like get to the point where he doesn't know if it's going to work and yeah. inject himself with the lizard serum? Exactly. Surely he'd go a bit further, unless unconsciously he's filling that role in the totem. So it's more of like. This, this Why would Octavius create a harness that looks like octopus arms? Like, he yep. could just create, yep. like, you know, a, a mechanical arm or a rig. No, because subconsciously, 
trying to fit into the totem. Yeah. Like, I think when you do, when you do in the same the way one of stories like like with Ezekiel, and, I think that, and, and that's, such, what's made, that's what makes his role like gallery the so strong. Works well. on its own. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what makes his role gallery so strong? As I say, I think I think Spider Man's role gallery is, is almost the equal of Batman's. Yeah. Because in the same way that Batman uh, reflects his villains and vice versa. I think Spider-Man often reflects his villains and vice versa. Mm. It's particularly the ones that are, you know, the working class street level Joes who found tech or gotten strange powers. And, yeah. Uh, you shoot your shockers, they've, your yeah, electros, your scorpions. They've set out uh, to use for nefarious means while he's set out to use his for different... Looking after the little guy. The little guy! The little guy! Looking after the little guy! The little guy. But Rob Schneider isn't in this movie. So. <laughs> Rob Schneider... <laughs> Herp-a-derp, looking after the little guy. Are you looking after the little guy? Deuce Bigelow 3. <laughs> looking after the little guy. <laughs> um, so, Amazing Spider-Man sort of sold on the premise that there was more to the story. Comic book fans were like, oh, they're going to go to the old Richard and Mary Parker being spies or something like that. And la, 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 yeah, la, la. I'm, I'm not sure about the... the, uh, the it's like what an oddly Richard specific thing to pick up. Comics. I, I, I know there's things that happened with them, but I'd never really read that. Yeah. Oh, they're gonna do an Ultimate Spider-Man thing where it's like Peter's dad was involved in sort of a few too many scientific things. Because in Ultimate Spider-Man, I can't remember if it's answered by the end, but it's definitely suggested that their death was not an accident. Yeah. Um, because of all the stuff he's tied into, like uh, you know, uh, Hammer and Roxon and Aim and the Venom suit and all these things. Blah de blah de blah. But. Um, you go into the movie and that kind of dominates the first half hour of the film. Mm. And then by the end of the basic origin of Spider-Man, it's been forgotten. And then the rest of the movie, like the la- the last hour and 20 minutes of it, is just a Spider-Man movie. Also, did with we, the lizard. Did we need that origin all over again? Yes and no. No, we didn't. I'll say, I'll say yes and no, no because didn't. I'll say this. Had the movie come out, say, 10 years after Spider-Man 3, I'd be up for it. But five years, it's odd. Now, looking back at it now is just, a, oh, this is just another version of the Spider-Man story. Do you know what I mean? Like going to your library and going to your movie library and going, oh, there's the Raimi versions or we can watch the Mark Webb versions. Like when you look at it in that way, uncoupled from remembering it at the time and how soon it was, yeah, it sort of works. Like, again, like Batman, there's no explicit origin in the Burton ones or whatever, but you know, you get the basics and then you watch... Batman Begins, you don't think of them anymore as like, oh, we already know this. You think of it as, oh, this is their version of it. This is their version of it. But at the time, God, it was way too soon. But, but and, also, and, like, and future I'm... filmmakers <clears throat> learnt from that mistake, luckily, which we'll, we'll get, get to later. Um, yeah. Let's talk, uh, let's, let's let's do the basic surface level shit. Let's talk villains. Um, We've got Irfan Khan as Guy, who is the demogoblin in the comics, but in this is not. Let me pull the cast list. Uh, we've got uh, the burglar, who's not the a burglar, burglar. and he's got a tattoo ah, or something. That famous uh, Spider-Man character, the burglar. The burglar. Look, a burglar for my movie. The, the burglar. burglar. <laughs> um, we don't get a wrestling match, but we do get a very brief appearance of a wrestling ring, and that's what inspires him to sort of mask up and. Create a persona. Um, 
It's so weird, man. It's so weird. He goes after the burglar, and the burglar has a very specific description, and he ends up basically beating up everybody who fits that description. Irfan Khan plays Rajit Rafa. Okay. Uh, is there is there a name for the, for the burglar, or is he just the burglar? The burglar! The burglar! And, of course, the main villain of the piece is uh, Raimi Reject, poor Dylan Baker. Um, oh, poor Dylan. Dr. Kirk Connors the Lizard, who's tied in directly with Peter's dad. And in this, he's played by Reese Ifan. He has a damn good go at it. He, he's sort of given some decent stuff to do in the first half of the film, then generic villain rambling for the latter Although half. Although there is that weird moment where Peter goes to visit him at his house, mm. and for some reason that scene is just really poorly dubbed. Yeah, that's like... That's the sound like, is like out of sync with what's the, going on. Uh, it's the first time they meet. Yeah. Um, it's really strange. There's also deleted scenes. I don't think they're on the Blu-ray, though, but there are deleted scenes with uh, Martha and Billy. Oh, yeah, because okay. they don't appear in the film. No. They don't appear in the movie, but why would he have a family home sort of further out of town in a nice sort of countryside well, area? Yeah. Well, So they get quite. into that. Um, but he does okay, considering what he's given. What do we think of the look of the lizard? He needs more of a snout. It looks too human. Yeah, but they give him that curved mouth, so he almost looks like he's got this creepy smile. All he the looks time. like a fucking Super Mario Brothers Goomba. He does. Oh shit! No one. Wants oh my to god! Shrink his movie. head, and it looks. Yeah. Into- oh my he god! He looks like a fucking Goomba. Although I will say, I do think he looks pretty cool. That brief attack where he's wearing a coat, like he's got a big coat on over everything. Yeah. It's only for a moment, and it's a beige color. So under the lights of the shop and stuff, where he's attacking it, briefly looks like a big lab coat, and it's like ah. Oh, there he is. There's Why the can't we have a big lab coated lizard? Considering the second half of the movie, his plot is basically I'm going to turn everyone to lizard people. Because. Reason! Because so he can go to a big glowy thing in the sky and. So Connor's. Oh god, yeah, that was one of the movies that started that trend, isn't it? So Connor's wants to grow back his arm. That's his personal goal. But the research he's doing is being funded. Because Oscorp, who are hiring him, want him to create some cure stuff for an apparently ailing Norman Osborn. Um, who, Whose face we do not see. No, we see like a silhouetted backlit graphic at one point. Yeah, this um, huge light-emitting hologram in the middle of the Oscorp lobby. This hologram, which is made of light and emits light, but his face is in shadow. Yeah. Because we haven't cast him yet. Because we don't know what we're going to do with the next movie. Oh, God. So he's his personal goal is to grow his own arm back. But to do that, he's got to play ball and create a cure for Osborne. So that's his plot, essentially. What happened to his arm? I don't think they ever say. I'm not sure. He says he's a southpaw and they all have a giggle. And then he moves on. That's pretty much it. Hmm. Uh, I'm trying to remember in the comics. Did he lose his arm because he was a he was a originally? Is it because he was a a physician was during he, the war maybe? or something? I, I'm I'm trying to remember now. Um, maybe that might have been an ultimate. Maybe maybe gonna, he was a uh, you know what? The... I'm gonna do. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna look that shit up. I thought you were gonna take a dump. Yeah, take a big, 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 big dumps. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a war he doctor. In, in, the original version was a, was a war doctor. Okay, so he's a, he's a medical doctor. Yeah. Yes. Um, and a scientist. Um, whereas in this, he's just 
got one arm. Uh, I don't mind the look of the lizard. I do agree. It would be nice for him to look more lizardy than... He needs a fucking snout. Or, or like to mutate as the film goes on. So give us the round-headed version or whatever by the high school fight. But then sort of during that fight have him sprout something out, you know, out of his back. Like he starts to get, you know, the spine or whatever. Yeah. So and then by the end he's got more of a... Yeah, like yeah. Make, him, make him evolve as the film goes on. Um, a Komodo dragon. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think the visual effect is cool. I think he he never looks bad at any point. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a good looking effect. Lighting, but I'm not a fan of the design. There's a really it. nice bit where he's in the corridor on the bridge at the high school, or the bridging corridor, yeah. and Spidey like tangles him up like a spider. Yeah, yeah. They do a really good job of making Spider-Man move in a more spidery fashion in this. Yeah, like is this the way he dangles and the way he sort of like crawls and scuttles? Or the way he goes in the sewer and he builds that web. And then he just sits on it waiting for the vibrations. And yeah. You're like, oh, that's actually what a spider does. That's um, <laughs> Spider-Man, Spider-Man could do whatever a spider can. Oh, just doesn't feel like it today. In this movie, he, he shows off more of his scientific mind. He builds his own web shooters. Yeah. Raimi you know, took just... a shortcut with the original just because he wanted to focus on the adventure and the romance. Yeah. So that's fine. And Peter's clearly clever in the originals. Like, he, he shows off his, his knowledge. But in this, yeah, it's practical application. Like, we see him making shit and, and figuring shit out. Speaking of romance, how do we feel about Emma Stone's Gwen Stacy? You know, that first film, those two, very watchable. They are very watchable. Like, they're very watchable. They're very, very sweet together. And you can totally see why Peter has a thing for Gwen. Beautiful people. Beautiful people. Be- the best people. You can't necessarily see why Gwen would have a thing for Peter. No. Aside from he's kind of cute and clearly is smitten by her. He's kind of a dick, though. He is. He's kind of a dick. Now, Andrew Garfield was a lifelong Spider-Man fan. The role was really important to him. He said it a lot in interviews. And he, he, he seems quite sad that it didn't work out the way he thought it was going to um, after the films have finished. And obviously, they're not coming back, those versions. Let's talk about Toby's tears, eh? Uh, yeah. What about Andrew's crying face? That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> I was Spider-Man in bad movies. Andrew's anguish. Andrew's anguish. <laughs> oh, oh! Um, but at the same time, you can tell you, you can tell he went in wanted to tell great Spider-Man stories. It was a, ca- a character he grew up absolutely admiring and, and being in love with and, and getting the messages of. I'm in love with. And instead, he was handed some subset Transformers bullshit to deal with, basically. Yeah. And he didn't get to tell the story. Now he tries his best. His Spider-Man is a lot more like Spider-Man than the Spider-Man his, of the yeah, previous Spider-Man in the movies. suit, wisecracking, never shuts up, yeah. all over the place. Clearly Spider. talking to distract yeah, his enemies yeah. and himself from how terrified he is, yeah. but also has lovely moments in both of the movies where he sees that someone else is afraid yeah. and talks them down and makes sure that they feel okay. But out of the suit, is Peter's just kind of a dick. Yeah. It's weird. And I believe that was a conscious decision. I remember an interview near the time they were talking about, like, nerds nowadays are different. Is they're what cool. Their thing was. They're like, nerds they're sort are of, cool. You can be nerdy without being, you know, a dork and a, a stereotype. You can be nerdy because he's a bit of an outcast and everything. But he's a skater. People approach and talk to him. Like, there's a girl in the first one who starts to say, it's Peter, right? And he's like, yeah. And he's been putting photos up on a school board or whatever. She's like, I, like, I really like your photos. He's like, oh, thanks. She's like, I was just wondering if like you were free this Friday, and he goes, "Oh, uh, uh, yeah, the yeah, angel," sure. because of course uh, that's how you act. 
Uh, just lots of pauses and stutters. And yeah, yeah. Goes, no, no, sorry. I'm, I can't come out this Friday because this is actually 21 Jump Street and I'm 33 <laughs> years old. Oh, Christ. And uh, uh, I can't fraternise with high school girls because it's illegal. But he gets older. They stay the same age. Yeah. Um, is that Dazed and Confused? Yeah. But, um, so yeah. yeah, yes, they do. Uh, so she goes like... He's like, uh, yeah, I can, yeah. She's like, great, because uh, I just, I wondered if you take some photos of my boyfriend's car, like, yeah. and she's not being nasty or mean or anything. Yeah, and he sort just... of reacts like, oh, all right. So the way he acts isn't sort of, oh, I thought she was asking me out. It's more like, oh, oh, so you're not asking me out then, okay. And it's really odd. It's like Parker isn't a player, so I think this Peter is aware that he's a handsome guy. It kind of is in the in the comics though. I suppose retroactively, but like. It's one of those things that... Oh, as, so, oh, as, it as is 20, Spidey. On, oh, absolutely. As, as things have gone on, you find out that literally every girl you went to high school with had a crush on him at high school. Liz Allen had a crush on him at high school. Yeah, because... He snags Betty Brant while he's still yeah, in high school. Because the, afterwards, they're, what, they've grown old enough to realise it's not about like getting with the popular yeah. kid and all this. They're like, Peter was a really nice guy. Like, he was a good-looking guy. He was a really nice guy. Jessica Jones had a crush on she Peter did, in high school. She did, yeah. Um, read your books, kids. New Avengers, right? Uh, yeah, she talks about that new thing. Um, you find out... Yeah, because Luke Cage gets a bit weirded out by it, doesn't he? He's like, yeah. wait, what? He's <laughs> like, wait, you two? He's like, well, whenever a thing. It's just like, I totally crushed on him. I think they talk about it in Pulse, because he reveals who he is, I think. In, I think in, it's in, in Avengers, because I think it's stuff. post-Civil War, when they're uh, hanging out in Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum. Yeah. Oh, God. Because it's before... It's before <laughs> One More Day, because everyone knows who he is. Yeah. Because after One More Day, everyone forgets who he is. Comics are weird! We'll talk about that next week. Yeah. Um, uh, so, like, I don't know, he just seems a little too confident. There's some nice moments where he's where he inter- inter- interjects when Flash is bullying another kid, and, and like his confidence there sort of is played in a really believable way. It's sort of played in a way to establish that these two have known each other for years, and he's yeah. just like, stop being a dick. Like, he calls him Eugene, which is nice to hear in a movie. Um, so there's that. But it's like him and Gwen have clearly sort of been around each other for maybe longer, but it's, this is like, this movie's where they're sort of really talking properly for the first time. Mm-hmm. Their chemistry is really fun to watch in that movie. Um, I just, I'm worried that the reason why we remember that movie a little more fondly might just be down to watching their chemistry. Yeah. Because when their chemistry is written for in the second, it doesn't play as well as it did in the first one, where there's clearly a bit of uh, Mark Webb's encouraged just some improv between his young cast members. Do you know yeah, what I mean? And also, I, I, they were they also they were falling in love during that production. They became an item by the end of that film. Also, like so, there's a natural chemistry going on there that's being captured on camera, which is hard to recreate later when they're actually a thing and doing all right. Also, what you've got to remember is comics are weird in general. That second movie is not as well written as the first. Too true. Not that the first one is a masterpiece or anything, but it's really it's solid, you know? Yeah. Solid. But the second one is a fucking mess. It's a train wreck, son! Let's dig into The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Should we leap into it? Let's leap into it. Well, let's, uh, let's leap in via segue of Martin Sheen. Martin uh, Sheen. Martin Sheen, who appears only as a different actor's back of a different actor's head in the second one, but... Martin Sheen was a decent replacement for Cliff Robertson in terms of recreating the Uncle Ben character. He's a believable, <laughs> likable person. But he's having to not say the same thing 
um, especially Pedro. Like he doesn't even like Pedro. if you if you have the ability to do good things or whatever, you have a moral obligation to do those things. Yeah, or you could word it better with great power comes great responsibility. But no, you have you can't say that because he said it in the last one. Yeah, but that, this origin. So his message is convoluted. It's there, but it's not quite the same, and it carries on into the second movie. He has a moral obligation to do those things. What is nice about Amazing Spider-Man 2 is he, Peter Parker, is from the beginning, clearly is in the swing of things, pun intended. He's Spider-Man. He's happily Spider-Man. He's doing, like, the small stuff and the big stuff, like, all the time. Like, he's dealing with big threats and little threats. The city, for the most part, really likes him, even though it seems the Daily Bugle wants to smear him. Um, though, giggity, though, we still don't get any J. Jonah Jameson aside from an email with a sub yeah. the, the subtitle, WRONG! Um, but we know that he's got a relationship with him because he's selling them pictures. Yeah. Um, so there's that. What else? Uh, Sally Fields dutifully as, as Aunt May again in the second movie. Um, her role's odd. It's almost like after the first half of the first film they don't really have anything for her to do no just sort of be Aunt May and then they sort of try to force she kind of force more Aunt May into the movie the second half of Amazing Spider-Man 2 by showing her working at a hospital and showing her being worried about Peter thinking too much into his dad's past and la 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 but the bag comes back doesn't it in number yeah, 2 yeah and I think that's where a lot of the problems are. I've just realised something Hang the fuck right on. In the second one, yeah. like the calculator and all that, where does he get them? From the bag? Yeah. The bag's empty in the first film, apart from a photo of his dad and Kirk Connors. It's empty. Does he not have a bunch of Because he says, like, why would you, like, why did he ask you, your dad told me to look after it. Why? It's just like an empty old bag and stuff. And that's when uh, Ben says, like, that bag is how your mother and father met. No, wasn't it? The... Like, you, you, they met because she was working at the shop. She sold him that case. Wasn't... And that's how they met. And um, that's why he said keep hold of it, because it's important to them. But in it, there's just a photo of Kirk Connors. Isn't it... Is there, like, a secret compartment in it, though? Which has, like... Yeah, but you'd, the you'd files be able to feel there. a freaking weight of files and a calculator. A calculator full of coins! It almost sounds like they didn't know what they were doing. No, n- listen. Listen. I will not sit here and let you imply... <laughs> The Amazing Spider-Man Two was poorly written. So just outright say it. Yeah, we need to outright Amazing Spider-Man Two. <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man Two is fucking terribly written. Like it's just, oh man, I, mm. it's just a mess. Um. Tell me, right, so here's the bottled plot of the first one. Spider-Man origin story, plus Kirk Connors regrows his limb, starts to turn into a lizard and decides that everyone needs to be lizards because then they'll all be superior. Tries to set off a big beam chemical gas thing in the sky to turn everyone to lizards. Fails. Gwen Stacy's dad, Captain Stacy, played by Dennis, should have been Jameson in this franchise, Leary, dies and promises, makes Peter promise that he won't include Gwen in his life. And then Peter breaks the promise. That's the plot number one. What the fuck is the plot of number two, Matt? So, a needle pulling thread. <laughs> a needle pulling fucking teeth. Um, ouch! So, you just have to like chip away at the base. 
Spider-Man has graduated from high school at the age of 27. <laughs> um, but hey, I know that guy. <laughs> hey, I know that guy. <laughs> um, oh, God. Right. So, Peter and M... Peter and M. Stone. <laughs> Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy graduated high school, starting college. Uh, Gwen Stacy's still doing a like work at um, Peter and Emma Stone. Peter and Emma Stone. Uh, her friends call her MS. Um, she's she's still working at Oscorp. Um, and <laughs> sorry, and basically, <laughs> oh, I can't I can't make this plot basic. Right, so a couple of different things are happening. I actually several different things are happening at once. Yeah. So there's this guy called Max Dillon who's an electrical engineer at Oscorp and he helped build a lot of the secret grids, but he wasn't given credit for it. And then he's a bit strange. And Spider-Man saves his life and he gets obsessed with Spider-Man and then he falls into a tub of electric eels because they sent everyone home and he's the and no one likes him. And then he becomes Electro because he fell into a tub of electric eels. And these are like genetically modified eels in the same way that the spiders were genetically modified by, as we find out, Richard Parker. Richard Parker! To, um, Sorry, it had, it had to, to be done. It had to help, be done. To help cure Norman Osborn, who is dying of some sort of degenerative disease that turns him into a goblin. And like, now played by Chris Cooper. It turns and his, not a black-faced hologram yeah, in shadow. It turns his skin green and he's got really long nails and he's, he's he's all dying. So he's... Because he knows he's dying, he brings back his son, Harry, who coincidentally used to be pal around with Peter Parker. I don't know how those two social circles interacted at all. But when they were, when they were kids, but then he got sent away to boarding school and he leaves the company to Harry as he dies. And then... So, yeah, so he dies, and Max becomes Electro, and <laughs> Harry starts to reconnect with Peter, but then he realises he has the same disease as his dad, and then stuff happens, and J- Jamie Foxx's Electro is all electro and he's got voices in his head telling him that people are his enemy. Voices and, that sound like the Magnificent uh, Six, and yeah, Pharrell, for some reason. The Magnificent Six and Pharrell are in his head, telling him that this is everyone. That Spider-Man, he shot at me. He lied to me. Yeah. He hates on me. He hates on me. <laughs> he hates all over me. Uh, hates all on my face, neck, and, and chest. All coming. Uh, Peter is like seeing the ghost of uh, uh, Emma Stone. <laughs> Peter seeing the ghost of Dennis Leary, oh. who was Captain Stacy in the first one and died at the end. Everywhere because he. He was all like, you got to keep my daughter out of this crazy business that's killed me. I am now dead because that's what happened in the comics. Um, so he's so he's seen... Wait, wait. You're saying a character died because it happened in the comics and that's the only reason why they died? Yes. Cool, put a pin in that, carry cool. on. Um, so he's seeing Captain Stacy everywhere look, looking at him disapprovingly. And in his head he's thinking, oh, you boinking my daughter, you're going to get her in trouble with your spider business. So with the Dennis Leary ghost, he's, putting, spider Pete, business. he's putting Peter off his game. So he like splits up with Gwen at the beginning, and then they instantly get back together again. Yeah, like twenty minutes later. Um, oh, I say twenty minutes later. It was more like an hour later because this film is so fucking long. Da-da, da-da. And 
Yeah, so Ma- Electro wants to... <laughs> Electro wants to get Spider-Man because voices in his... Literally, because voices in his head literally told him that Spider-Man's a bad guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, Harry Osborn wants to find a cure for this disease and he thinks Spider-Man's blood is the key because Richard Parker was... Oh, yeah. Sorry, who, sorry. Who, who, who? Because who? Richard Parker. Richard Parker. So... This stop, stop. So this, the, by the way, this movie starts with a flashback to the murder of uh, Mary and Richard Parker. Um, or oh, based on the, which ending you think is canon, the attempted murder. Of Richard yeah. and Mary Parker. So, how many laptops does he have? <laughs> he only has one. Uh, Sony Vio. Oh, that's yeah. weird, isn't it? Isn't it weird? Uh, it's got a, a 2014 desktop yeah, he, in a flashback set in 2003. Loves, he loves uh, uploading stuff to satellites. God, he really in the middle does. Of plane crashes. He really does. Um, this <laughs> movie's not fucking good. Like, it's just, a, it's just, it's how long did it fucking take me to explain that? Like you still haven't even said the whole thing. I know I've not even got to the end yet. Tell them about the uh, the spy at Oscorp who we don't know is a spy. Apart from the fact that they mentioned in the press that she was a spy because they were setting up for a future movie that isn't going to happen at least in that continuity. Oh anymore. yeah, Felicity Jones playing Felicia. You know Felicia Hardy. Do they, oh, men- they never say Hardy. They She's credited as Felicia. Yeah. Um, and they say Felicia a few times. She's Norman's personal assistant, who's now Harry's personal assistant, and. She knows the secret shit. Also... And they said in the press around the time that, yeah, she's playing Felicia Hardy. And those who know Felicia Hardy will probably be thinking, well, what's she doing there? Well, what about Deep Cover? Huh? 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 And also, um, also, Amy Pascal at that point had a movie with the working title Glass Ceiling, which would have featured Silver Sable and Black Cat, which is now actually going to happen set in the not-MCU-MCU called Silver and Black. What but is basically, that Felicity Jones, about, Felicity Jones, and probably B.J. Novak as Alistair Smythe were signed to this movie, probably with the promise that you're going to be in at least one of the film and get to do exciting shit. That's what was going on there. That's the thing as well. Like Electro becomes Electro. Yeah. Ends up in Times Square. Gets upset and goes after Spider-Man because he thinks Spider-Man betrayed him. Yeah. Who's the person who led to his immediate accident? Alistair Smythe sends him into that fucking basement to fix that cable and get. Jump and get chomped on by eels, which they later imply was deliberate. Yeah, because it becomes the Max Dillon experiment. Yeah, although to be fair, that might have just been after he was imprisoned in Ravenscroft. But still, like um, Oscorp know what's happened to him, so they're yeah. trying to cover it up and then experiment on him from like. He never goes uh, after Smythe. No, this guy who's a total dick to him, and you see he has a fantasy about beating the shit out of Smythe. Yeah. He never goes after him. Isn't that isn't it weird? That's the only the only moment in the movie where they sort of show that maybe he might be a violent person. Yeah, just that he's clearly he's clearly unhinged, but has a high paying, as we assume, um, very technical job that requires him to be a very intelligent engineer in a highly respected, very expensive research facility in the middle of New York. Yet they haven't psychologically vetted him. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what is this? The fuck is that? Let's talk about the actors. I don't want to talk about the characters, Matt. I want to talk about the actors because I want to. I want to know how you feel about them having to go through that movie. All right. All Let's right. talk about Sally Fields. I think Sally Fields is like, oh, thank God, I'm only in a couple scenes. 
that, that'd be the feeling I get. They give me one yeah. nice dramatic scene, they give me a couple little comedy moments, and then they give me a, a bit of a montage action scene of dealing with hospital that, stuff. That, that dramatic scene where she's breaking down and she's like, you're my boy, you're my boy. Yeah, she's like, I, bl- I, I hate your dad. Like, beautiful. I know that's wrong, but I hate your dad because of what, like, he left you. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, he left you. Like, that's some good shit. Like, that's some good stuff. It would have been fun to see, so, like, Rosemary Harris deal with a scene like that. And yes. the, the other ones, like, it, it, it's Sally quite Field cool. is an, 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 is an Academy Award-winning actress, so, you know. Yeah. You like me. You, you really, really like, like me. me. Um, so, uh, I do really like that. Him, to be fair. Yeah. Um, that was weird, though. Um, so, yeah, yes. there is that. Um, yes, it was. How about... How about... Uh, Jamie Fox as Jamie Max Fox, Electro Dylan. Jamie Fox is properly going for it, like properly going. He's for been it. given a very specific thing he has to do, and probably no wiggle room, and he's going for it. Mm. It's still a terrible performance, but I think it's the same as if you. I, I, here's, here's, here's my here's my comparison. Al Pacino in Jack and Jill. That's Al Pacino, man. That's Al Pacino. Well, it, but guess what? It's Don Pacino. It's Jack and Jill. Yeah. Nothing can be done. And even that, the Don Pacino sequence, which is a parody, sort of that is referred to as piss take in the movie, although it's still a bloody bit of marketing because it's still technically marketing Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. Um, even that is terrible. Even though he's he's obviously playing it for comedy, it's still just uncomfortable and horrible to watch and witness. Mm. That's Jamie Foxx in this movie. Jamie Foxx is a talented guy. I could watch Jamie Foxx act in anything forever. I adore watching him on screen. He's pretty great. And, I mean, I, I watched him play a bad guy last week. I watched Baby Driver. He's a, ba- he's a very bad man in that. And he's scary. He's intimidating. He's frightening. He's unpredictable. He can play bad guy. But what's happened here is they've gone... Right, we want to write a character for Jamie Foxx. I uh, want to write a bad guy. Oh, I know. Do you know what I watched last night? Says Alex Kurtzman, I imagine. Let's just pin the blame <laughs> on him. Um, do you know what I watched last night? What's that, Alex? I watched the first five minutes of Iron Man 3. <laughs> and the first 40 minutes of Batman Forever. I'm just going to write a Guy Pierce Jim Carrey mashup. And that's what Jamie Foxx is going to have to play. Oh, that's not going to be... Good for me. Surfs up, big. Oh man, it's it's so. This movie has tone problems up the wazoo. Like the original, the the original, the first Amazing (laughs) Spider-Man has problems in that I think it has tonal issues. It doesn't know. No, no, it doesn't. It's it's Spider-Man through a Twilight movie fan, like filter. It has tonal issues in that it's. I think it's a bit too. I don't. I don't think it's fun enough. I think it's a bit too self-serious. Yeah, it's consistent. Yeah. It's a consistent level of self-serious. And Ace of Spider-Man 2 is all over the fucking place. Yeah, it's goofy one minute, it's serious the next, it's um, like clearly sort of a teen angst drama one second, then it's a family-friendly action flick. The, you know, and like, it's later. not... Like, the, the, the tonal problems don't come from like Spidey fucking around in the suit and his quips. Like, that's tonally um, consistent. consistent. Yeah. It's, it's with things like the portrayal of Max Dillon, the portrayal of Dr. Kafka, the God. like um, the the the, or as, or as, the green goblin. or as we referred to him before, uh, the man who's probably got three people sewn ass to mouth in yeah. the room. He, he just does. He does look like he's just come off the set of the Human Centipede. 
Like God. Norman Osborn, who is a, a dying old man, who's also an evil dying old He's man. He's an evil dying old man. Harry Osborn, who's a sad little rich kid, who's then a psycho. An evil sad little rich kid. Which is weird. Like, just, oh God. People do things in this movie for no good reason. And they don't do the things they should do. I'll tell you why they do them. The majority of them. I'll tell you why the majority of them do what they do. Sequel bait. Yeah. There's a lot of setting up stuff in this film. But as we were talking about earlier, they were writing this movie not knowing what they were going to do next. Yeah. So they, they knew they, they had just... to hit X, Y, and Z. They were just scattershot setting as much up as they could, like throwing shit at the wall, almost literally in this case, and to see what stuck. None of it stuck. Mid-credits of The the Amazing Spider-Man, Dr. Connors is visited in the Ravencroft Institute by... um, And we know it's the Ravencroft Institute because in the Amazing Spider-Man 2 game adaptation, part of that story is going... Oh, not not, not that one, sorry. The first one, part of that story is going into the Ravencroft Institute to get Connors out to help you with something. Because the Amazing Spider-Man game for PS3 is set after the Amazing Spider-Man the movie. Just after. Um, Ravencroft features in this, and it's so heavily hammered in that it's basically an Arkham knockoff. It's kind of nuts. But um, the hatted man visits Connors in the mid-credits scene in Amazing Spider-Man 2, and is like, did you tell the boy about his father? In this one, that hatted man is named. He's Mr. Fierce. Do you know who Mr. Fierce is? I fucking don't. Nope. Mr. Fierce, as far as I know, is an allusion to a criminal, like a one-off character from a novel. He's in... He's just started to appear in the comics. Has he? Apparently, apparently he turns up... He turns up in issue four of Civil War Two: Kingpin. Okay. But he's in two Sinister Six novels. Right. And he's apparently the brother of the person who killed <laughs> um, Richard and Mary Parker. Christ, he's some sort of like criminal setter-upper. Harry knows him somehow, uh, or at least is aware of him being attached to his company. And he and Harry are the only two people, aside from Felicia, by the end of this movie, that seem to know that there is an entire special projects floor underneath Oscorp, featuring a bunch of experimental chemicals and technology. Including a rhino mech suit. Because that's... What's that for? Mechanical tentacles with sentience. What are they for? Uh, giant wings. And based, based on the graphics during the end credits, a shield with a lion face on it. A blank metal mask. And I think the other one that's alluded to is something else. I can't remember what it is. Oh, scorpion tail. Yeah. So they're suggesting that they've got a bunch of tech that will create and, Spider-Man and villains. Also, oh god, in a, in a deleted scene, yeah, the head, the of, Norman head Osborn, of Norman Osborn, preserved and seemingly alive, like the end of Psychoville series two with the Nazi. <laughs> Fuck's sake! <laughs> deep pull. Deep, I like it. Deep pull, son. So but, um, very cruel. It's just so fucking pointless. Uh, let's hit on a couple of the main points, shall we? Um, Harry's born. A lot of balls, Dane DeHaan. Can be a great actor, but in some movies he can be freaking terrible, and this is one of them. He's just a little fucking snot bag in this. The Green Goblin is once again a mech suit. Again. 
Um, this but, time one that heals whoever's wearing it, apparently. So you seem to have a... Do you I have a big problem be able to get His entire journey this? in this is, my father died of a disease that he never found a cure for, and all of the experiments, all of the Richard Parker stuff, apparently, over the years, and the Connor stuff in the first movie was attached to trying to find a cure for diseases, including Osborne's, yeah? Yeah. Harry's disease is apparently accelerating. As soon as he's sort of gone through puberty, it's starting to, like, hit him even harder than it did Osborne. With Norman, it took him years for it to completely deteriorate. Well, no, I think Norman said says to Harry, hmm. it, it hit me yeah. at your age. Yeah. It but, started but, for but, me at your age. But we see him, like, in the research videos and stuff from his past, he's not, like, visibly suffering. And uh, in the stuff with Richard Parker, he's, he's, he's on a cane and he's shaking. Yeah, oh, no, yeah, but he's not, like, he's not got big blotches and he's not... Oh, what no. I'm saying is he's not goblin at the age of 18. Whereas with Harry, it happens within the case, like, in the course of, like, a month. Um, and... It's narrative in So, so what I'm saying is it's, it, it's a thing they don't have a cure for. Yeah. Yeah? And yet, Harry injects himself with the spider sample, thinking that it will, like give him amazing healing and strength Spider like Spider-Man. Like, yeah. like Spider-Man. Um, which we'll get into that again in a second. But it, do, it does that, yeah? Yes. And it doesn't. It accelerates the, mut- the mutation. Like, it gets ten times worse within seconds. So he climbs into the mech suit that apparently is for uh, healing and protection, and it begins to heal him according to the computer readout. Yes. He goes all nutso and crazy during the fight, but afterwards we find out that the disease comes and goes. Now, at this point, it has I... physically deteriorated him. Like, he looks different. His skin's weird. He's covered in scabs and pus. And his f- he's got fangs instead of normal teeth and all this stuff. And yet we're now being told, oh, no, it just comes and goes. I'm sorry. I'm really fucking sorry. This thing that you don't have a cure for, that the entire apparent story of your father's life was trying to find a cure for it, you're telling me this mech suit can hold it off. Bullshit. Now, if they just said, now if, they just, if it wasn't a mech suit and it was, here's a thing your father used to spend like days at a time hooked into because it would hold it off, then I'd believe it. But they don't. It's I just think, a, it's a military mech suit. I think it happens because he took the venom. But that doesn't make sense either. Because there's a suggestion, a very small, but there's a suggestion that maybe the whole reason the venom the spider bite did to Peter what it did to him is because Richard Parker tampered with the formula so that Osborne could never use it for what he was intended. Which means the reason why they're still researching spiders currently is because they're trying to work backwards See, I, to I figure thought, out how to make it work. I thought the way it works is that, that Richard the way it only works on right only works on Peter is because Richard Parker used his own DNA to modify the spider. Well that's what I'm saying, yeah. So yeah. like but but he's he's also done that like he knows that Osborne won't have a blank slate to work from because all they can recreate is what Richard left it as. Yeah. So that's why they've still not found what they need to, and that's why they're still researching because they're like, oh, fuck, like this, the Parker DNA is a part of this. We need to work backwards. But they never say this. We're we're coming at these theories with a comic book fan mindset of well, maybe that's why that does this and this does that. And, and blah, it's blah. never explained. No, and it never will be. Explained. And it never will be. Now, there's an alternate ending to this movie where oh, yeah. instead of the rhino fight, Peter's at Gwen's graveside in the in the film. Peter's at Gwen's grave. Time goes by, and he's grieving and he's grieving. He's mourning, and then he eventually sees that like the rhino mech suit's loose and all this, and he accepts that. Christ, no, do you know what? I need to be out there. I need to help people. So he gets back in the suit, and he goes out, and he goes to fight the rhino, and we hit the end credits. There was another ending, where he's at the graveside, and eventually is approached by Richard Parker, 
who is alive, undercover, sporting a beard, and confesses that they had to think I was dead to protect you. Sorry, Chris, I'm just going to smother myself with this pillow from your couch, because that's how this movie makes me feel. Now, had they a clear direction... Uh, oh, God, he really is. Had they a clear direction... He's twitching. Had they a clear direction... Oh, he just voided his bowels. I guess he's dead. No, no, I just, I just couldn't hold it any longer. Oh. Ugh. Um, not. Oh. Now, had had they said, like, oh, we have a third script, we know exactly where we're taking this, and this, that, and the other, then I'd be kind of interested in that, because I'd be like, right, what's the angle? Is Peter's dad going to come back now and finally explain everything? Like, what's the... No, of course not, because they had no idea. And they clearly didn't have an angle, because they filmed that scene, and then they don't use it. Hey, they shot an entire subplot with Shailene Woodley as Mary Jane, yep. and cut that. Yeah, and none of it exists to watch either. And that's a long... It's already a long fucking movie, so where was that going to go? Like... It's a long film full of lots of stuff, and yet it feels like nothing happens. It's a long and very boring film. Are there any highlights at all? I like his interactions with citizens of New York. Yeah, the the kid whose science project gets broken by bullies, um, the the stuff with the firemen... Yeah. His attempt the to stuff talk... with the policeman. Yeah. His attempt to talk Max down. Yeah. Like, doesn't, he's not going to fight him because he can see he's scared. Obviously, he can see that the danger is presented. Yeah. But he can see that he's frightened and confused. So he tries to calm him down. Um, his banter with civilians in general is really quite sweet. The heist bit at the beginning of him trying to stop the truck is decent, apart from one thing that really annoys me, which is, like... Alex- Alexei Sensevich! Because apparently he has to scream his name to make all of us nerds get a boner and jizz in our pants. Yeah, he's the rhino, um, everybody. Rhino fam is the rhino. Apparently, like, he's totally fine with the rhino shooting out of the window, and in the background you don't even see a consequence. Like, it'd, be, it'd be decent enough if you saw, like, a sign getting it. Like, he shoots and see, like, a sign shatter or some glass shatter or something. Because yeah. at least then you go, oh, no one was hit, thank God. But instead, he just fires out the window. I'm like, well, that's really flippant. What if this guy fired out the window and killed people? Spider-Man didn't stop that. Why is he not webbing the gun out of his hand? Or I don't know. Yep. The suit. The suit is nice. Is the most... We figured out it's the most comic book accurate one. It's yeah. the comic book suit on screen. It looks gorgeous. It's skin tight, but there's still some material, so it ripples. Like, the eyes, the, finally the big white eyes... And it sort of takes the spider design from the Raimi movie, sort of, and makes it bigger. And, and it's it's still clearly made of, of sort of the same material as the Raimi ones. Rubberized. Neoprene. That's much what I do. The most amazing film. Yeah, because I'm a nerd, a comic book nerd. I hated the suit from Amazing Spider-Man. I didn't hate that. At the time. Suits. Now I quite like it. But I prefer the Amazing... When you see the Amazing Spider-Man 2 one, you go, oh, that's what it should have been. Yeah. So much better. All the best. The very best. Third in the world. Um, Before we crack on, I should have weird noise in the room, so I'm just going to quickly check out what that was. But, Matthew, please. Yeah. Overall summary, round up thoughts of the Amazing Movies. The Amazing Movies are, in some ways, an interesting attempt to update the Spider-Man mythos. Um... But they come too soon after the Raimi movies to really be relevant. They repeat too much of the same ground. Um, they don't... I think they really suffer from coming out around the same time as Marvel's MCU stuff It was really kicking into gear. Mm. Um, because 
the way those movies treat their characters and their world building and their setups for future films, they do it really well. And Sony try and ape it, particularly with Amazing Spider-Man Two. Yeah, and I think you know, I think I've said this before. It's like Iron Man Two, but bad. Yes, like and Iron Man Two is like probably, I think it's probably the weakest um, MCU movie because it's baggy with exposition and setup. Yeah, but it's still quite fun, and that setup pays off in future movies, big time. Um, so, you know, I can forgive that. But even even without the future payoff, like it, it's fun. Like it's a fun movie. Yeah, and the I think both the amazing movies, but particularly the second one, take themselves way too seriously. Oh god, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, 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 but in that way that teen angst sort of movies take themselves seriously, you yeah. just look at them and you go, "Really, this yeah. is what you're getting worried about." Um, before we move on from amazing, let's just touch on one last thing: death of Gwen Stacy. Yeah, the actual moment itself, I think we could agree, is quite shocking and brutal. And yeah, sad to see, but I'm it's well not performed. earned. It does like it's it's a case of they did it because she died in the comics, so we'll do it. But it doesn't happen the same way. But there's the Green Goblin and she falls. Those are the only sort of um, actual similarities to her death. Yeah, they make a very big point of. Like Peter, you could be, you could argue that all of this, like Peter's life and the superhero stuff and everything, contributed to her death. But they make a big point of of it being her choice to be there, and it's like they're removing the guilt from him a bit. Like now, with him being our protagonist in the comic books, that was a very effective storytelling choice, because she falls from the bridge, like un- seemingly unconscious. He catches her with a web and there is a snap. He pulls her up, her neck is snapped. And the goblin is like, oh my god, did you kill her? And Spidey then eventually pursues the answer of like, was she already dead? Because she wasn't moving as soon as he arrived. She mm. wasn't moving. Did he, he needs to know, did he kill her or did Osborne? And Osborne has made a point of going, I am never going to tell you. I want it to eat away at your soul forever. You know what I mean? It's like, she was a pawn, but you could have possibly got her out of this. That's the, I mean, that's the main tragedy. It's like, he could have saved her, but what if he'd actually killed her? Yeah. What if it was all his fault? That's the tragedy, and with him as the central character in the comics, that's where that comes from. In these two movies, the main character's Peter, yes, but it's almost completely equal billing between him and Gwen. So... They make a thing of her going, I do that, I choose this. And it's really weird, they make a big moment of it. Of her saying, like, no, I choose to be here. And then she dies five minutes later. It sort of robs part of what makes life after Gwen as horrifying, you know, in reflection. Yeah. Because she is gone at this point, so her story has ended. It's all left, it's the impact of what's happened to him in that moment and, and going forward. But in this it's just an unfortunate accident. So he couldn't have prevented her a moment of death, but she wouldn't have died if she hadn't stuck around. So it's on her for being there. Do you know what I mean? It's weird. It, it's it's odd. Like, in making her more of a bigger force in the story and, and more important in the overall story, 
they've robbed the effectiveness of why it's so tragic after the fact. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not to say, you know, like, oh, the female lead should only exist to further the male lead story. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it as, you know, two equal human beings. They're a big part of each other's life. But it's like, well, if she hadn't been there, she wouldn't have been in that scenario and wouldn't have died. And you could say, well, she needs to be there because she hooked up the thing that took out Max and la la la. And it's true, but like, we don't know if that was the only solution to deal with Max. And you don't have to write Max being there into it. And like, there could have been a different way to take him out, surely. And la la la. I don't know. All I know is a lot of people go, oh, it's so good because it's like in the book. So I'm like, that doesn't make a thing good. No, faithful and good are not the same thing. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, faithful and good. Uh, sort of being balanced relatively decently. Let's talk Homecoming, son. Spider-Man Homecoming! Son! Um, Alright, so we're going to go no spoilers with our initial thoughts, and then we're going to get into it and spoil it before we do your emails. So deep dive into it. Son! Check the time codes, but we'll give you a warning when it's coming up. But, um, yeah, non-spoilery thoughts. Spider-Man Homecoming's really fucking good, dude. It's pretty <laughs> it's great. It's really good. It's pretty damn great. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming's a 2017 motion picture, the first entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, from the joint, the joint work of Marvel Studios, Walt Disney Pictures, and Sony. Sony... What? Sony cracked a deal after The Amazing Spider-Man 2 flopping like a motherfucker like critically and place. also not making back enough money uh, based no, on their projections. It, it made back its budget but I think they spent word of mouth killed it. It's budget so they, again on yeah. marketing so... Word, yeah. of mouth, word of mouth killed it from profiting the way they wanted it to profit. They pushed that movie really hard. Like it yeah. was everywhere. Yeah. And it just didn't do that well. I find that so odd that when you have a bankable franchise, why would you market it to that degree? Because, um... Like, sure, you can make money back on toy sales and things like that, but why would you market it to that degree if you specifically own it because you know people will come anyway? Because movie studios don't respect their audiences. That's true. That's very true. Bye, Jingo. So, that's why. Which is why Sony have a stranglehold over Spider-Man. So Disney and Sony have a chat. Sony are willing to push ahead with Amazing Spider-Man 3 and a Sinister Six film and a Venom film regardless. Mm -hmm. But Marvel throw them a bone and say, hey, look, look. You can either rush and continue to make stuff, because I think now what they've got is like a five-year deadline. Like they need to have a project in the works every five years or renegotiate. They're like, look, tell you what, we'll renegotiate if you want, or let's make something special. You fund, you profit, and you release another Spider-Man movie. But we'll be the people who make it for you. Give us creative control. Yeah. Now, Sony still have the final say, which is very evident when it comes to the marketing for Homecoming. Audi commercials, anyone? Freaking uh, NFL commercial, anyone? NBA commercial, anyone? I gotta go watch a game with Mr. Stark! Um, God. Uh, So there's that. But, but, butty, but, 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 but. That's a weird thing, actually. Sony have always tied Spider-Man in, marketing-wise, to a car company. You know, that thing Spider-Man loves to do. Drive. Huh? Although there is a fun sequence with a car in this movie, but it isn't like, a look at how good this car looks in the sequence. It's... This thing's getting fucking told. But we'll save it up for spoilers. Yeah. Um, so... It's not a big spoiler, It's not a big spoiler, it's just yeah, Audi, isn't it? Um, Miss Spider-Man 2 flops, so Sony strike a deal with Marvel, and they go, okay, we'll do it. 
His first appearance is in a Marvel movie. And this is how it's going to work, basically. Sony will get 100%. I didn't, I couldn't believe this at first, but Sony get 100% of all the profit of the movies they distribute. Yeah. They get a cut of the movies Disney distributes. This shows you how much money Disney is making and how much they value the inclusion of the Spider-Man character. Sony got something like 5% of the overall gross of Civil War, mm-hmm. which is way too much, but just for including Spider-Man. Because, I mean, because Marvel are like, go on then. Like, come on, let's do it. Fuck it. If this is what it takes for you to let us play with one of our own toys again, yeah, we'll do it. And I think Spider-Man's the one character that you should make that sacrifice for because... He's Spider-Man. He's, <laughs> he is the heart of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Like, really. He is. He's, really. He's the relatable everyman. He's the the awe-filled optimist. He's the childlike innocent. And at the same time, the one who has to, like, really get stuck in. Like, he can't rely on his military training. He can't rely on his technology. He has to work hard to find solutions to what he's doing. And it's the most admirable trait of all. Like, the persistence and the drive to do what's right. Um, So, Spider-Man Homecoming is a movie distributed by Sony, owned by Sony, and the final says by Sony. But it's been made by the folks over at Disney Studios and Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige and all of his guys. Uh, with Avier Ard and Amy Pascal sticking their beaks in, but you know. Um, and as such, it's a big gamble. There's not, there hasn't been an alliance like this with major studios for a long time. No. And it's paid off. Spider Man Homecoming is the first kid friendly superhero movie in the MCU. Obviously, the rest of them are made with families in mind, but this is the first one that is aimed, I would say, directly at the kid audience. You reckon? I think so. Like, obviously the marketability, like Iron Man, kids really were drawn to Iron Man and everything because of the armors, but like no kids watching Iron Man and going, oh, I love it because of the way that all the scenes are clearly constructed uh, and well put together improv conversations <laughs> between, do you know what I mean? Like, they're not looking at it like that. They're not looking at it because I love the whole international espionage and the intrigue of Abadiah Stane trying to have Tony taken out so he can acquire different rights of the business. It's, I love his big bald head! They're coming out of it going... <laughs> The Obadiah Stane, big bald hair. Dress up as your Halloween costume for your kids. I love Jeffrey They come at me going, oh my god, the armor's so cool. This one, it's like, oh my god, I'm in school. I'm in high school. Oh my god, I have crushes. Oh my god, like, I wish I had a really cool secret, like I was Spider-Man. Do you know what I mean? Oh my god, I want to build a Lego Death Star. (laughs) Yes, you do. Uh, we're in the money! That was like Disney's one bit of product placement for themselves in the whole movie. Did you notice? Everything else was companies that either are owned by... Oh, there's or a bunch, there's a bunch of Star Wars by, stuff in Peter's room. Oh yeah, but I mean, there are the companies that are owned by or work with Sony. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yet there was a C-3PO toy, a Vader toy, and a massive Lego Death Star, which was a plot point, like, featuring in the movie. It's like, there you go, Disney. Here's another summon, summon. That's for you, baby. Mm-hmm. I suppose you could argue the appearance of like Captain America and a Thor and Hulk Halloween masks and things like yeah. that as well. But um, Spider-Man: Homecoming is the story of Peter Parker two months after the events of Captain America: Civil War. He's got this really cool, like, teched-up suit that Stark gave him in that movie. He's stopping tiny minor crimes around Queens, which again, like, none of his stuff took place in the big city, really. We didn't get any big swinging sequences. It was like, no. it's the suburbs, he's, he's, he's a street-level hero for sure in this one. Like, he's swinging. He helps one woman across the street and she bought him a churro. Yeah, she did. Hey, <laughs> um, the Spider-Man from YouTube, right? Yeah? Do a flip. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! That's pretty good. <laughs> um, he's sort of itching for the next big mission. Uh, it seems that Stark is almost reluctant 
you know, reluctant to bring him into everything because he's like, well, he's just a kid. Like, I believe in him and I think he could do some good, but I ain't, I'm not calling him anytime soon. But Happy Hogan's been left in charge of John Favreau returning to play Happy oh. Hogan. He's been left in charge of sort of like just keeping an eye on Peter and also moving all of the tech out of Avengers Tower because they're now officially moving into the revamped upstate facility from Age of Ultron and Civil War and uh, Ant-Man. Yeah. Uh, they're moving there full time now. Um, meanwhile, a bunch of tech, ever since the Chitauri invasion of New York and Avengers, a bunch of tech has been acquired, stolen, or redirected, tampered with, turned into weapons, and sold on the black market by Adrian Toomes and his group, who were basically, you know, blue-collar construction guys working in New York. They got a city contract to clear up the Chitauri invasion, like they bought new vehicles and new equipment to deal with it all. Hired new guys. And then Damage Control come in and go, no, we do that now. Damage Control, of course, not being funded by S.H.I.E.L.D. in this, or the American government, but being funded by Stark Enterprises. Uh So basically, Tony is profiting from the destruction he writes. Not like in a way where he's sort of going, woo-ha-ha-ha, but in a way where he's like, we'll clear it up and we can obviously research and look into all this stuff. Also, Damage Control. We get Damage Control. We get Damage Control. Um, So, Toombs and his lot feel like they've been shafted, and after keeping hold of some of the tech they salvaged, turn it into a business. Several years later, they are selling black market weapons, and they're all doing it because they feel like, you know, government and big businesses are shitting on them. So immediately, you've got a very relatable villain. And not in a, like, oh, he's got a heart of gold, or think he kind of way. You're just like, yeah, like, if I had the chance to look after my family, like, and secure my future, and screw over the people who've replaced me, I'd do that as well. Yeah. Like, fuck it, this is great. So Tombs, complete with a big old set of tech wings, is vulturing around, like, picking up tech. He's got some guys working for him, including a couple of dudes who like Crossbones uh, electric gauntlet. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm the shocker. Oh, I shock people. So you get freaking the shocker. You've got uh, Phineas Mason, so the tinkerers there helping create the new tech and weaponry and everything. But he's not an alien in disguise. No, no, well, as far as I know, but no, he won't be. But yeah, it's like so they're doing a certain amount of jobs until they can call it a day before they get caught and and provide for their family. Um, so Peter's trying to take down these guys from their thievery, whilst also trying to impress Tony Stark and prove that he should be on the Avengers, whilst also trying to keep his social life as intact as he possibly can around Liz, a girl he fancies at school, um, Ned, his best friend who discovers his secret, as we see in the trailers, who then has to sort of, like, explain to that no, we can't use this <laughs> as, like, credit for stuff, despite the fact Ned happens to drop in front of everybody that... Peter knows Spider-Man! Yeah. So, yeah, there's a whole thing with a party and homecoming dance coming up and it's worrying about getting dates and their quiz teams, like, going to Washington, D.C. And, like, Peter's like, do I go or do I stay here in case Mr. Stark needs me? It's a movie about a teenager trying to juggle his social life, his own little secrets, his school life. Sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's like being a teenager. Yeah. It also sounds an awful lot. Like a Spider-Man story. Yeah. Because it goddamn is. It's a Spider-Man story. Now, it's a great one. It's, I think it's the first Spider-Man story where you do have to have the required reading before you go in. It isn't starting from scratch. You could get the gist. You will be fine if you have a passing familiarity with the basic concept of Spider-Man. You will be fine. Because this ain't no origin story, bruv. It's an origin story about Peter learning more about who he is as a person. It's Spider-Man early in his career, that's for sure. Yeah, it's like Spider-Man year one. Um, if you've seen Civil War and you don't know anything else about Spider-Man but you remember that cool kid from Civil War, you'll mm-hmm. be totally fine as well because this is where they jump in with you. 
I think they do a good job of recapping everything as well. Yeah, they never outright say what happened to him, but they suggest. You get the gist. You get that he was bitten by something that gave him powers, and he's trying to, like, become a crime fighter and live up to the heroes he idolises, like Tony Stark. Um, And he's obviously getting frustrated about it. Non-spoiler thoughts. Tom Holland. Great. Really Looks like good, a kid, right? for one thing. Looks like a goddamn kid, because I, I think he turned 20 when they were making this movie. Like, mm-hmm. he's a young kid. Looks like a kid, acts like a kid, great physicality, just wonderful performance, I think. I, think, I really like Tom Holland in there. Like, Tom Holland is Mirror Universe Andrew Garfield, in that they are both people who care deeply about the character and wanted to do it justice. The difference is, this time, he's been given a script and a director who gives a shit. Yeah. Um, not to say Mark Webb didn't give a shit, but he obviously was... He was guiding the process. This time, it's part of the MCU, where they have taken great care to make sure the essence of the characters they're adapting is very much there on screen. Um, so, Tom Holland definitely benefits from that. Yeah. And he brings so much like enthusiasm and, 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 and charisma to the role. Oh, the kid's energy. The kid is just a yeah. of energy. Oh, God. Like, he's up for it. And the fact that you know as well that he's in that Spidey suit. Like, that's him. Yeah. As much as humanly possible, that is him. Because he's playing the part. Um, uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but Ned Leeds. Uh, the actor's name is... He's just credited as Ned, isn't he? Yeah. I think. Jacob Battleon. He's great. Oh, he's fabulous. He could great, but he doesn't. It's so, like, the measure of of his performance and the character's sort of, you know, quips and butting in and everything could be irritating. They never let it get that far. It's so carefully measured. Do you think, without going into spoilers yet, Yard. that Robert Downey Jr. steals any of this movie? No. Exactly. You, you get that. This is a cast of young actors that are so good and engaging mm. that Robert Downey Jr. walks onto screen yeah. and doesn't overshadow them. No. He. It, I think the best way to describe it is the Civil War scene in Peter's bedroom with. Tony Stark and Peter Parker. Yeah. Carries into this. Yeah. It's a battle of wits. Like, they fit on the same plane. He isn't there to mm-hmm. overshadow. Now, the, see, the way there is a bit of overshadowing, but not like in a performance. It's not like he comes in yeah, and takes yeah, the scenes. Yeah. It's because Peter idolises Stark. So you just get that sense when they're in scenes together that Peter's like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm talking to Tony Stark. But, and that does the job of, oh my god, Robert Downey Jr.'s in this movie. What, it, what it avoids really nicely, which I think a few people were worried about, was like, uh, whenever <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. walks into the screen, it becomes an Iron Man movie. And it's not, not that at all. Uh, the Iron Man armour does rock up in the movie on two occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice because it's, it's sort of the design of the last few ones, like the Mac 42, the Mac 43, and the Mac 45. But the colour scheme is the colour scheme of Ultimate Spider Man, which is a really nice torch. Uh, And it also looks like it's a suit. It's like one of those that he just like keeps in vehicle to just leap into and go as well. So it's the it's the basic suit and everything. Um, What else we got? How do we like? How do we like Michael Keaton? Keaton's tombs is excellent. Do we think he's definitely one of the better, if not the best, villain we've had in an MCU film so far? Yeah, because again, like I, I still am. I still believe that I. I would like to see some bad guys who are bad guys. Like, just baddies. Like, who enjoy being a baddie. We've not mm-hmm. really had that yet, apart from maybe Loki and Avengers. We've not really had that. Um, but, I don't have a gripe with it in this particular instance, because his tombs 
like he he's he he is a guy who cares about his family and cares about doing the right thing by his family. Yeah. He feels he deserves what he's owed. Like he's owed thanks. Like he worked his ass off, and it's like the thanks he's got is nothing. So it's living out the fantasy of fuck it, I'm gonna take what I need. Then he's clearly having fun doing it, but he's not a bad guy. When he threatens yeah. to kill someone, you believe that he's gonna kill them, but you also believe that he wouldn't do it if he didn't have to, if he didn't feel he had to, mm-hmm. which is nice. There is a scene where he argues with one of his team and does something a little permanent to them, thinking it was going to be something a little more temporary. Yeah. So they sort of paint that, yeah, he'd rather not be doing something, you know, deadly, but if he has to, he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. So he is a villain, but he's not a muhaha a villain. But I'm fine with that because he's so intense. It's Keaton. Oh, man. I, yeah, I fucking love Keaton. I think what happened is John Watson and Kevin Feige sat him down and said, you want to get nuts? Let's get and nuts. And Keaton said, come on. <laughs> Let's get nuts. Let's get Vulture nuts. is terrifying. When he's in the suit, he's yeah. in force to be reckoned with. Um, scary stuff, especially in the third act. Well, the first time Peter encounters him is a terrifying moment. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's horrifying to see. Um... Supporting cast, the characters that we said, like Ned and Liz, I love and all Michelle of... and Flash, yeah. like they're great. Like they're all part of the decathlon team. They're all they're all academics. Well, what the... Flash isn't a jock bully. He's the dickhead, intelligent, rich kid. Like, really... That's his angle this time. They didn't it... really make it explicit in the film, but they mentioned it in like interviews and stuff. Where it's like Midtown High, as yeah. it was in the old comics. That kind of school doesn't exist in that part of New York anymore. Yeah. What does exist though? Uh, magnet schools, mm. which are specialised, like sc- schools. In this case, a specialised science and technology yeah. school. Science and tech is the angle which, that they lean on further yeah. than other stuff. Yeah. And that brings to bring in kids from further out in New York into the metropolitan areas. Yeah, just to to study and get education and stuff. So it's it is that's why they've got an academic decathlon team. That's why Flash isn't an athletic rival anymore. He's more of an academic rival to Peter. He's just a really rich, asshole rich kid. Yeah. Like, snotty fucking dickhead. <laughs> DJ Flash! <laughs> oh, man. It's, and it's Tony Revolori, who is um, Zero in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Best Hotel, And yeah. he's fucking wonderful in this. He's great. He's, again, it's one of those roles where, for him, it's just a case of, like... As with a lot of the ensemble, but it's a case of... We show up, we say some really great dialogue, we have some nice back and forths, yeah. and we just hang out. And but you like, get that sense from all the interviews. Like, a lot of the cast for this, the interviews have been the younger cast members just, like, sat on the couch. Yeah. And they have such, like, chemistry and such a good time. I, I think they're really... Like, and, like, they're all modern, <laughs> like, updated versions of those characters. And so, to, so, to some point where, really... It's only the name that's the same. Yeah. Well, like, Ned but, Ned isn't Ned Leeds, really. No. Aside just... from the fact that he's friends with Peter. Like, yeah. they're, 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 um, what do you call it? They are colleagues in a sense. In this case, it's because they're on, like, the same teams and, you know, the Cathalon and everything. Yeah. Whereas I've seen the comics, it was more like, you know, they work together at the Bugle and stuff like that. Yeah. And he was a rival for Betty, Betty Brandt's affections. Yeah. Who is in the movie? Yes. Betty Brandt is uh, is on the school news oh, channel. Which is, news cha- which is oh, freaking we'll wonderful that story to find. But that's nice because that's setting up that, oh, she might one day work for the Bugle because she's yeah. obviously a journalist. She wants to be in journalism and stuff. Um, so there's that. Uh, Ned is based a lot more on Gank, Gank from, from uh, Ultimate Spider Man. Miles Morales' leg. 
ultimate spoiler. The idea of him having a best mate who knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, which is acknowledged twice in the movie. There's, there's a nice little nod where a character's alias is listed as Brian Pacelli and not to Brian Michael Bendis and Sarah Pacelli, who yeah. obviously worked prominently on the Miles Morales series, Ultimate Spider-Man together. And uh, they're in the credit with special thanks to, and there's like five names, and two of them are Brian Michael Bendis and Sarah Pacelli. So it's like, yay! yay! Ultimate Spider-Man, specifically the Miles Morales era, has sort of informed how this version will go. Yay! Um, um, uh, Marissa Tomei is Aunt May. She doesn't get Fused- enough to... Do. Doesn't get enough to do, but what she does do is sweet, and you can see that they do adore each other. Yeah. There's that lovely sequence where, like, he's he's got a date for homecoming, and his first instinct is to come home and go, "May, what the fuck do I do? <laughs> like, I need your help. Like, I don't know what this is." So, like, she helps him figure out like what to wear. She obviously doesn't know how to tie a tie. So they're sat there watching YouTube, learning how to tie a Windsor knot together. She shows him how to dance. So what's quite nice is the sort of only a brief bit of like formal dancing, uh-huh. and there's just sort of like, she's like, you know, come on, groove, like just have a dance. Um, it's it's nice. They've given her, like you described it before, as like her waistline keeps going higher. She's always yeah. wearing high-waisted pants. It's like they're trying to swallow her. Like, 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 like a bloody bell plant. It's like they're trying to envelop her. From we've got to try and make Marissa Tomei not look smoking hot. Yeah. Despite the fact that multiple characters comment on how smoking hot that's she is. That's the one gag that didn't sit with me. Yeah, because like, yeah, I was like, that yeah, only works if you know what Aunt May's normally like in the other media. Yeah doesn't really work in this movie that's why it worked really well in Civil War because audiences who are familiar with Spider-Man like to see that he's like you're surprisingly hot and like the audience are all thinking yeah she's much younger than we know to be normally but um, she's although exactly I do like when Stark, right like, toward the beginning is a bit where they're leaving a video message for her like him and Stark yeah. sort of as an alibi for him being away um, during Civil War and he said take one of the alibis like hey May hope you're alright and wearing something skimpy and <laughs> he's like sorry that's inappropriate <laughs> it's like that's his auntie talking about you creep but like she, she's she's sort of given like little little things to do like so the stuff she's doing yeah. is quite house you know housewifey in the traditional ways we're sort of like you know trying to make it be like look see she's sort of old school aunt May. she's cooking meatloaf and do you know what I mean like the whole yeah. she's one step away from banana bread and um and and <laughs> You know, like they give her the sort of these round glasses that sort of age her face up a bit when you know she could probably wear a different pair and still look her age and everything. And you know, there's little touches like that to sort of in your head reinforce that this is still the same Aunt May. This take is just younger because why would, um, what's it? Why would her her sister have been several generations below yeah, her? It, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for her to be that old, yeah, as she is in the original comics. Like again, it, like, well, it, I mean, it it do it, it can work. It can be that May's the older sister of Mary, but they've made that choice of no. Do you know what? They're closer in age, and that that works better. So Aunt May in this is meant to be, I su- I guess, her early fifties. Well, she's. I imagine she's the same age as Marissa Tomei. Who that late for she's fifty three. Damn, really? Yeah, you got her on screen there, and I'm just sort of slightly distracted. Hi. You're pretty. She's 53 years old. What eternal spring is she tapping into and can we get some in some? Yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> oh, God, there she is. It's Aunt May. What a weird thought. That's Aunt May. That's Aunt May. Now, here's the thing. Like, I think the most effective Aunt May portrayal really in terms of what we've got so far and going forward and everything is uh, always going to be Rosemary Harris in the, in the Raimi trilogy. Well, she's 60s Aunt May. Like, Yeah, but... In this revamp, young everyone's a bit younger in this version of Spider-Man. Marissa Tomei's Aunt May works really well. You know, but it makes sense for her to be in her early 50s when Peter's yeah. high school age. Like, that's not... She's not, like, unreasonably young. 
last last point before we go into spoilers because I yeah. want to talk spoilers more, Trucker. Um, tell me about Happy Hogan, Matt. Happy Hogan's inclusion in the movie. Oh, like I love seeing John Favreau on screen. Yeah, especially in this role. <laughs> I feel like he's sort of my spirit animal because he's a grumpy bastard. He doesn't have time for no bullshit. I love him. He's been left babysitting. Yeah. And he's just like... He's really annoyed about it. Fuck's sake! That's what he's like. That's what (laughs) what my inner monologue is most days. And that's what Happy Hogan's inner monologue in this movie is. As wonderfully played by... uh, John Favreau. Favreau. Uh, I think last non-spoiler note really is... You said that about the last one! Yeah, I know, but th- I think this is important to get out for people who haven't seen it. Put it um, away. What's nice is this movie isn't about an end of the world scenario. No, the stakes are really small. Like the set pieces yeah. are the set pieces are big and exciting, but it's not beams shooting into the sky. I wouldn't say the stakes are it's, small. It's but the not, stakes are in scale. Yeah, well, it's not. Put it this way: they're not dealing with the people who are going to do horrible stuff with the weapons. Yeah, they're yeah. dealing with the people who are selling the weapons. So they're stopping stuff at the source, um, which is nice. This is this is like your first act of an end of the world story, but it's the whole movie, mm-hmm. and it works really well for that. Great cast, great writing, very reminiscent of John Hughes, complete with a blatant reference at one point uh, that might be a little too on the nose for some, but it made me chuckle. Yeah, only if you've got no sense of humour. Yeah, great version of the Spider-Man suit. Yeah, both of them. Or maybe more. Um, yeah. And it fits firmly in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is a Spider-Man for the MCU, but at the same time isn't swallowed by it. This is the kid looking up at the grown-ups table of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. It reminds you it's part of that universe often, because if you were a 15-year-old in this world, you'd be paying attention to the shit that was happening on the news and on social media. You'd be going, oh my god, like... You guys have seen the Hulk, right? Yeah. yeah I saw this yeah. video on YouTube. It's this big green monster. How yeah, cool is yeah. that? Like, oh my God, do you remember that time when we were kids and we were looking out over the Brooklyn this Bridge is... and Manhattan was being smashed up by giant space whales? Uh, uh, yeah, of course we remember <laughs> that. Like, it makes sense that they would be looking up at the at the Avengers world and it would be referenced more in this than, say, in Doctor Strange and stuff like that. Spider-Man because Homecoming. these are kids growing yeah. up in this world. It's a movie which very nicely encapsulates what happens when the next generation of heroes start coming through. Yes, bitch. Yes. Now, now superheroes have been established in this universe. Yes, And people are used to them. Yes! As used to them as you can get, I guess. And now the new lot are coming through. Yeah. And Peter is is leading that brigade. Um, Let's spoil the shit out of this shit. Let's do it. Go watch Homecoming if you haven't already. It's really good. It's really good, so go and watch it. But from this point onwards... Um, so it was Miles Morales all along. Oh my god, I know, right? No, White Miles no, Morales. That didn't happen. Um, there was a riot in our cinema. I don't know what, what, well, let's mention Miles Morales. So, uh, Aaron Davis appears in the film, played by Don, um, Don Cheadle. No, Donald Glover. No, played by Donald. Oh, what's his rap name? Childish Gambino. I have no idea. Glover. I was trying to put his rap name in the middle and then realised I don't know it properly and it was a failed attempt. Well, you Don- made a tit out of yourself Donald there, Glover you? was petitioned for Spider-Man around the time of Amazing, if I remember, because everyone was like, Miles yeah. Morales is cool, you should have Miles Morales Spider-Man, Donald Glover should play him. And even then, Donald Glover was like, 
I'm flattered, and I'd love to play a character like that, but I am also not a 13-year-old kid. Yeah, so... I'm a little too old. Yeah, however, they found a way to make that dream come true, because he voiced Miles Morales in the cartoon Ultimate Spider-Man series, when oh. Miles Morales worked up in that. Oh. So he has got to play in that world. Uh, yeah, now he's Miles' uncle, Aaron. Um, the MCU is clearly a nice little amalgam, when it comes to Spider-Man, of the 616 and the Ultimate Spider-Man universe. Because Aaron Davis is in it. His alias, according to his rap sheet, is The Prowler. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's dealing in buying arms. Not the big stuff. He wants the small, quiet stuff because he wants to basically make money. He's not about killing people. Yeah. We'll see if that changes his later His ears prick up when the guy <clears throat> mentions, oh, I've got something that can help you climb walls. Yeah. And he's, and like, he's like, ooh, really? It's like, okay. And also he mentions, that, like, no, he doesn't want... That. He's happy to give Spider-Man the information about the sales stuff. Because he doesn't want that massive destructive shit in his neighbourhood because I've got a nephew, you know? Yeah, we know! <laughs> <laughs> this movie's setting up already the Miles Morales story. Yeah. They're, they're, they're sowing the seeds now because inevitably in three or four films' time, Tom Holland might go, I think I've done it now, like I'm happy. So they can go, right, well, instead of recasting... Let's start with the next Spider-Man. Miles. Let's get some miles. Let's get let's get the miles in. Let's get some miles on the clock. Gosh darn it! Oh yeah, beautifully set up. Let's talk um, about Karen. Karen, which is Spidey's AI. When Ned hacks into the suit for Peter to remove the tracer, so that Happy can't see that he's up to shenanigans while he's in Washington at the decathlon. Yeah. Um, Ned finds out that there's a load of sub programs and subroutines in the suit all underneath the training wheels protocol. So after he removes that, which is great, I love the fact that Stark's calling it like sort of patronising shit like yeah. that. He gets rid of the training wheels protocol, baby steps thingy and all this, and he removes it, and suddenly you realise Spider-Man's suit's got an AI like Iron Man's suit. Like it has a full-blown AI, voiced by Jennifer Connelly, who Peter decides to name Karen. Because it's just a nice name. Like, yeah. he's going to call it Liz, and he's like, oh, no, that's creepy. Um, <laughs> right, Karen. So it becomes Karen. Um, what a great idea. That basically it functions like a Stark suit. Yeah. Apart and from also, it doesn't have armour and weapons in it, but it's got, like, 259 web settings. Uh, like, including, ta- including taser webs, <laughs> like, sort of a silly string basic web. It's like parachute. Web, um, oh, God, what is it? Uh, web. Econ drone in the... Ca- in the, in the uh, oh, yeah, in just the called droney. Um, what's the... What what was it the, the ballistic it was a ballistic web or whatever it's called basically it's like uh, go to combat mode but including oh, rapid fire webs rapid fire webs like uh, installing insta kill his oh, eyes yeah. just go tiny and red he's like no no don't want to kill anybody it's like removing instant kill um, but it's got rapid fire webs and everything like like the the ricochet webs yeah. web grenades all sorts of stuff that Peter in the comics does eventually kind of invent versions uh, of I think it was some people have complained like oh I don't want Spider Man to be too techy he's too techy well. Peter Parker is kind of a gadgeteer genius. Yeah. The the difference is he he tends to invent the gadgets after he's found a reason to need it. Even in the old school comics, like he invents a better webbing when he fights Electro for the first time so it can be insulated and he puts more... Oh, mate, he puts, like, more rubber in the suit. But certainly in the... If, night- I, if I remember correctly, in that electro- initial Electro one, he wears, like, a crappy rubber version of his suit <laughs> that looks shitty because it helps him defeat Electro. Like a bomb suit. Yeah. Like, um, and then later on, like, he creates an, the spider armor. Have we all forgotten the spider armor from the 90s? Like, the silver-looking I, I reflection wish I stuff? I <laughs> the, sp- um, the, the Spider-Mobile. <laughs> the Spider-Mobile. Like, temporary <laughs> and stupid and now used in really fun nostalgic it can climb walls interesting ways yes it can why it can drive a wall so can he so um, but uh, do you remember that time Iron Man he did a motorbike no because the toys sure think yeah, that's a thing yeah Iron Man's motorcycle 
But um, like, it, it's he does invent stuff to deal with with relevant threats, and that's like, become... he's done spider tracers. He made the spider tracers because he realised it was a way to keep track of people. In this, it just happens that Starks installed them in the suit. There's a freaking spider tracer in this movie. It becomes much... there's a spider tracer in the movie. It's become much more of a thing in the comics oh. recently with Dan Slott's run. Yeah, well, yeah, the last ten years and then right? starting up Parker Industries. Like he's be- he's become much more gadget heavy because he realised because I think. Both the character realizes and Dan Slott realizes as a writer, going, "Oh, this guy's actually a genius. So why not? Like, actually, why wouldn't he invent yeah. a way to stop X? Why y, would he Z? not do this? Yeah. So that was nice. I mean, there's also like subtle nods to obviously Superior Spider-Man. Octavius goes overboard with the technology, and there's even yeah. a, there's a tiny sort of reference to that in the film when Ned's asking him questions. He's like, "Can you summon an army of spiders?" <laughs> so like, obviously, he's just asking about animals and stuff. But it, I, the first thing that came to my brain was like, "Ooh, like the little spider bots from Superior Spider-Man." Ah! Spider bots everywhere and, and spider kicked out the cinema. But um, sorry, right, he came back. Hey! hey! Oh! Hey! Oh! Oh! Um, oh! That was not. I mean, just oh man. The origins sort of reference it. Reference that I can't put May through that. Like everything she's been through. So it's like okay. So they're referencing about you know Uncle Ben being lost and everything. Yeah. Um, and he says straight out to Ned that like he got he got the powers from being bitten by the spider. And Ned's like, can I get bitten by the spider? <laughs> oh, but then again, I have to be bitten by a spider. Spider's no, dead, Ned. I'd be worth it. He goes, the spider's <laughs> dead, Ned. Yeah, it's just like they, they sum that up enough. Um, I love, I love his like his his relationships with all the people in the area, like his you know group. The of guy in the deli, friends, and there's the guy in the deli and his cat and everything. Uh... That's that's that got a, both times I've seen it. That got a, like a big people pissing out loud moment in the cinema. He says the guy says like, "How's your aunt?" And he turns around the other cook and says an Italian, like she's a very hot Italian woman. Then Peter says in perfect Italian, "How's your daughter?" <laughs> 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 That's a kind of cockiness that I don't mind because he's obviously doing it with a friend. Like, yeah, he's not just yeah. being a dick to a stranger. Because then he's like, ten bucks. The sandwich is five. For that comment, ten. He's like, oh, come on, look, here's, here's five. Here's five. I'm sorry. They go there and give the cat a tickle. But I was like, <laughs> that's weird. And they take a moment to establish that there's a cat there. And then obviously later on it's like, oh yeah, because he saves it from the from the fire in the building. Oh. Um, we know that Peter likes his sandwiches with extra pickles pressed really flat. <laughs> um... <laughs> So there is that. It's, li- it's just little details. He just has, so- he just has more character. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's more going on in that way. Like, and, and what's nice is you tell by the end of the movie, he realizes that I need to learn more about yeah. me and what I can do. And, and, and I, I've realized that wanting to be an Avenger, like maybe one day, but right now I need to do this. He doesn't get angsty. He's not angsty all the time. No, he has moments where he's like, "Oh, I want to be play at the grown table," and blah, blah, blah. Mm. which is what you do when you're a teenager. Yeah. Oh, she stopped treating like, me like a kid. He says he's jumping on his bed and whining like a kid. Yes. It's like, oh yeah. yes. Um, and by the end of the movie, he realizes that I need to appreciate this time a bit more. Yeah, like I need yeah. to like training wheels. Maybe that's not such a bad idea. Like maybe I should I could stick to training wheels for a bit. Um, be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, as Tony says, from a party somewhere in India. Yeah, over Wi-Fi. Pretty, that's fucking brilliant. <laughs> as he sends the remote suit to save Peter. So good. Remote control. Oh god, because that was beautiful as well. The trailers, obviously, you knew from the trailers it was going to be a conversation between Stark and Peter on that roof yeah. after the Staten Island ferry. But it's really nice when he says, "Like, I mean, if you cared enough, you'd be here." And the suit just opens, and Tony steps out of it. It's like, oh fuck, he's there. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he is there. Like, Peter has to eat his words now, because Tony is there. And I love how Tony wasn't soft on him. No, like, he wants no. Something he, he, says, like, he, says, he like, opens up on him. He says to me, like, I can't really, oh, I can't remember what Peter says. Like, he, he tries to correct Tony or something, and Tony just goes, no, no, this is where the grown-ups are talking. Mm-hmm. And it's, 
you sort of realise the severity of the situation. But then, you know, prom's going to happen and he lightens up and he's finally excited again and then gets smacked in the face by the scariest freaking moment in the whole movie. Yeah. Let's talk about that, shall we? So, Liz, we all went into this movie assuming Liz is Liz Allen. Yeah. Of course it's Liz Allen. Peter's high school friend, who, you know, is sometimes crushed based on the different versions and sometimes a hilarious, like, um, Hispanic kid played for laughs in Spectacular Spider-Man animated series. <laughs> and, like, Liz, great character. We love Liz. Like, she gets a bit screwed with later in her life, but, you know, we love Liz. We love Liz. Yeah, ain't Liz Allen. Or it is Allen, but she's not going by that surname yet. Um... Adrian Toomes is her dad. Yeah. We spend the whole movie going, well, you know, the Vulture's doing what he's doing for his family, but we never see the family. And it doesn't really cross it. At first you think, oh, you know, it'd be nice to see the family. He and mentions then you, can, then you kind of forget yeah. about it. He mentions the, the he Call from your wife's called again, like she wants to know back from this yeah. job. And, you know, you forget you forget about it. And you also assume, you spend a lot of the movie assuming that his secret base and all that, where all they're making the weapons, is in New York. Nah. Nah. They're closer to Washington. They just tend to operate in New York more often. Um, as you mm-hmm. find out later. But, like, you assume, you know, oh, you forget about the family thing. And then you meet Liz's father when Peter comes to pick her up for homecoming. And it's Adrian Toomes. And what follows is kind of, I mean, it's scary, but it's also funny. The way Tom Holland yeah. is clearly, like, frozen in fear for about two minutes. Because this has never happened to the Spider-Man. He's never met a scary monster villain bad guy and then been in the same room as them. And I don't think I don't think we've ever seen it like this before either. No, have I don't we, think in any so. of the movies? The closest we've got is the is the Thanksgiving dinner in the first one. But Peter doesn't know that Norman's the goblin. No, no. We know that Peter's Spider Man, and we see Norman figure it out. That's a wonderful scene, a really memorable scene from that first one. But in this one, what happens is he you got see... clipped by a bike messenger. Bike messenger. Um, but me down. You see. Um, so Peter goes in, not, you see the impact of Peter realising that that's the vulture. And also, you're like, this is really weird because it's not being played as villain meeting the hero. It's yeah. being played as terrified child knows he's in the vicinity of a dangerous man who wants to hurt him. Not only that, Keaton's playing it, as he would do in that scene, as just an awkward dad with yeah. dad jokes and the usual stuff about dad. like, oh, well, you know, you're taking my daughter to prom. Like, what are your prospects? Uh, all? Like, all that's happening. But as the conversation in the car develops, yeah, and you just, he doesn't, he doesn't, you don't do anything. You, you don't see, see you don't him. see that, that Peter can see him figuring it out. Yeah. Because once the cogs and the wheels start to turn in Adrian Toomes' brain, he's faced away from them. The entire yeah. time. And there's a really nice device, and I noticed it in the second one, when they stop at the stoplight as he sort of puts the final pieces together. Saying, like, it's a good job your old buddy Spider-Man like, was there in Washington. I bet you were terrified. And, he, and Peter has to say, like, well, I wasn't... Because obviously Liz is there. She could contradict him. Yeah. I, I wasn't in the elevator. I was outside. And it's, like, confirming that, oh, fucking funny that, isn't it? That yeah. Spider-Man's always there, isn't it? Spider-Man is always there. And you weren't, you weren't being saved by him. Mm. But you were outside... The light on his face, because obviously they're, they're, this traffic light is red. It switches back to amber as it finally yeah. sets in. And then the moment you realise Toomes is like, right, I know I'm going to have to say something, is when the green light hits. Which is nice, because obviously in the comics, that's the colour usually associated with the vulture. There's a bit of green in his costume. There's it? a bit of it, a bit of it there, like the eyes and stuff, and some in the lining, and the, the, the armour's sort of got like a green, greenish tinge that like, you know, some metals do when they're being stored away in a damp space and everything. And, but like, it's just the fact that that moment, the light on his face is just green. It's like, holy shit, the vulture and Spider-Man are sat in a car together. 
and the vulture knows who Spider-Man is. This is frightening. And then you got a lovely moment where he says, like, oh, I'm just going to give Peter the talk. And he isn't playing it like he's going, oh, I'm just going to give him the talk. And it, like, he's playing it completely natural and as natural as he can to make his daughter feel fine. And then Liz gets out of the car and Adrian just picks up a fucking gun out of the glove compartment. Doesn't even point it at Peter. No. Just, but just lets him there. know that he's picked up it's something there. dangerous. I don't think he shows it to him. No, he's holding it behind the front but seat. But you can tell Peter knows something's up. Yeah. Well, he's, he's got spider sense. He's got spider sense. And he, he, he basically says to him, like, look, I'm doing what I'm doing for my family. It's about protecting them. So I, family means a lot to me. And you saved my daughter's life. And I won't forget that. So I'm giving you one chance as a thank you for saving my daughter. You go in there. You go to homecoming. You have a great night. You forget this conversation ever happened. And you leave me to my business. And for the first time in a while, it's a 15-year-old kid being dealt a real dangerous blow. Oh, yeah. They up the peril even more later when he collapses the warehouse around Peter. Um, you get that Spider-Man has to live the heavy thing yeah, moment but it works so what, what, the, well. what works about it so well is that initially his sheer panic he's a child yeah that, that is the first scene in the movie where they just blatantly go this is a child yeah like he's a teenager he's a kid yes but in this moment it's like oh my god this is a, this is a young boy he's 15 years old what the hell is happening and he's genuinely panicked he's terrified and it, everyone in the cinema was just like, oh, oh no. Such a great moment. It's so, it's just great. And the fact that he overcomes it because he's just thinking about Tony, it's sort of like this movie's take on the great power. Like, if they'd have cast Uncle Ben, that would have been the moment where you would have yeah. heard the voiceover. But like, Tony's saying like, if you're nothing with the suit, like if you say you're nothing with the suit. Nothing, if you're nothing without the suit, suit then you shouldn't have it. Then you shouldn't have it. And he realises like, like you're right, like this is, i I'm more than all that shit. Like, I, I, why am I trying to prove myself? Like, oh I, yeah, I'm super strong. <laughs> I'm super strong. I am. I can do this. But I like. Oh, I get you. Get the half face moment for the yeah. first time in one of the movies proper. Like with with his makeshift crappy mask in the puddle and his reflection. I love the makeshift costume. I like it too. I think it's really cool. Right. It's, it's a nice take on what because obviously the other movies have done a version of it, sort of um, like wrestling suit for the Raimi one yeah. and, and the, the him fighting the, the trying to find the mugger and stuff in, in amazing. Like he's just sort of, he's dressed in black and he's got a, bala- he's got um, a woolly hat on, but he's got a red like, balaclava with sunglasses on underneath it. So they, mm-hmm. they, they both had a version of like a proto suit, but this one's really cool. Cause it's obviously, this is his superhero outfit. <laughs> this is it <laughs> until Stark gives him a cooler it's, one. It's, it's, and it's just a color swapped, um, Ben Riley. It, it is. Yeah. Cause it's a hoodie top and everything. Yeah. Um, and I like the goggles, the idea that he sort of uses them as a focus, like, yeah. like which they say in Civil War. Um, let's touch on a few things because I want to get to the emails um, for too long, but they're just a few little spoilery things. Uh, all the stuff being taken out of the Avengers Tower, it mentions that they're taking the Hulkbuster armor and a prototype shield for Captain America. So obviously Tony was working on new tech yeah. for Cap before uh, Civil War. Yeah. And an emergency... Thor's magic belt. <laughs> it's like, okay. First time it's been mentioned, uh, yeah. but and like, I have no idea how to pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the way that they do it. It's just going to, screw it, we're never going to try. Megungir or something like that. Apparently, I'm not as savvy on it, but apparently there's some tech from Agent Carter in the plane sequence. They mentioned a black hole grenade. That's it. Yeah, there's uh, some uh, of them in the van, uh, yeah. And which is similar, we see something similar in season two of Agent Carter. 
Ah, so there we are. Um, there it is. We've got, um, what else? We've got two versions of the Shocker. Uh, turns out the first one isn't Herman Schultz. It's it's the Montana version. Yep. And then the second one's Herman Schultz. It's like, okay, so the Shocker is in the movie. Um, Christ, what else? The Captain America PSAs? like the, the Oh, they're so good. They're brilliant. They're so good. Especially like, my friend, like indicates to the right of the TV. Your <laughs> teacher on the left. To the left. <laughs> And then they come out. They come out the back and he goes, "Okay, uh, so there it is. Pretty sure that guy's uh, a war criminal now." But uh, government says we got to show these, so whatever. The detention one. The detention. Is fucking oh, awesome. So you screwed up. Like turns a chair around and sits on it backwards. You screwed up. You got detained. Oh, God. And it's clearly and he's, he's in the Avengers suit, so yeah. it's after the events of the Avengers. It's like he's done some public service yeah, stuff because, yeah. of course, he's back in the public eye. The public by this point know Captain America is back. And it's like, okay, that's kind of cool. Take it from a guy who's been frozen for 65 years. <laughs> it isn't cool. It isn't cool. Just like, oh my God. And which leads us beautifully into the post-credits stuff. Oh, man. Well, the first one is very... The, first, the mid-credits one's quite nice. It's, yeah. it's, it's They've sort of got to the point now with the post-credits where they're not necessarily teasing an upcoming movie. They're teasing, like, oh, a character beat. Like, okay. Oh, I enough. think they may also be setting up Yeah, well, the, what, the last arms deal is with Matt Gargan. Yeah. Which is nice. He Which is it, named in this movie. He is he? named in the movie. Um, See, I, think, I think Mr. Sunday and a couple of others missed it. Yeah, I, I, said, I, like, I oh, had, does he get named? Yeah, he's definitely named. I had that conversation with, with my girlfriend when, when we saw it. It was like, she's adamant that you never hear his name. No, they do, early, sure on they say, do. early on they say, like, uh, they're like, we're not going to meet Quota unless we still know the batch. Like, oh, we've, got, we've got only one more arrangement. Was like, yeah. We've got the Gargan deal, right? Yeah. And then when, Spide, when Karen's assessing the criminals there, she says... Um, What's it? Well, that's uh, a career criminal, like Matt Gargan, and his yeah. name comes up on the screen. So he is named, but also he's got the wacky big scorpion tattoo on his neck. He's a bit more like we've said it before, weren't we? He's a bit more like the Matt Gargan from sort of the Venom era, Dark Reign yeah. style. Like he's a psycho. He's not a private eye who's forced into a horrible situation. He's a violent criminal now. Um, but then in the prison, the big scar on his eye from the car hitting him and knocking him into the water looks a bit like the eye mask shape from. 60s, yep. which is nice. Truly, really like um, more prominent. I think it's more prominent in the the 90s animated series. It's got like the sort of the Deadpool, yeah, the Deadpool-like yeah. eye design, which is cool. Um, but then the <laughs> so that's nice because it's like he's like some of my guys heard a rumor that you know who Spider-Man is because he's basically saying I know people on the outside who will kill him for us to get revenge. And the rumor is you know who he is, and he says if I know who he is, he'd be dead already. And it's nice because it's basically Adrian Toomes going, I'm not going to murder this child. Because I don't have to. Like, I'm already in prison. What's the point? And he saved my daughter, so I'm doing the solid and keeping his identity secret. And maybe he wants to wants to get back at Peter himself. Maybe later. Maybe it's information that might prove valuable when he's teamed up with, say, five other dudes. Yeah. Um. But who knows? Uh. But also then that post credits teaser. Brilliant. The whole cinema is sat oh, there waiting. Fucking so good. And then up pops a cat PSA. So good. He says, like. Like, whether it's in high school or, you know, be a soldier at war, one of the most important virtues we can have is patience. Sometimes. Sometimes, like, patience, like, may not feel like it's paid off. It may feel like you've worked hard or waited a real long time for something that isn't quite worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he sort of catches himself realising, like, uh, and he looks off camera and goes, how many, how many more of these? <laughs> And then they, they give you at least a tiny payoff because everything's like Spider-Man will return. Yeah. So for those who maybe don't follow movie news, they're like, oh, cool, we are going to get more, okay. 
But it's just like, oh my god, they've got to the point where they're trolling the audience. It's so good. It's the second film to just full on troll the audience as well, because yeah. the first one was Guardians 1. Yeah, which is like, here's Howard the Duck. Duck. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? We're not going to develop the story further, but here's Howard the Duck. Um, so that's, I mean, that's and I think fun. it's only fair play after we've got three in Guardians Volume 2. A uh, five. We've got five. The five. Five of them, yeah, there was, um,. God, there was there's the original uh, Guardians original there Guardians was... Teenage Groot getting all angsty Teenage Groot Adam yeah. Warlock Adam Warlock reveal the Stanley explanation oh the Watchers and um, uh, Sean Gunn's character testing out a film oh god oh god <laughs> I forgot that one's like at the start of the end credits after the main names though so that, that one sort of yeah it slips in and out but yeah oh god we'll, we'll talk about this a bit next week but this week I, I read an article on the uh, all the easter eggs people have found so far at Disneyland Disneyland's California Adventures um, yeah. Guardians Mission Breakout oh, okay. the, the, the ride that's replaced Tower of Terror yeah um, good lord like so many easter eggs some to things that have happened in Agent Carter Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. some of the movies so far couple which they've they've not named them but they've said there are a few things in here which may or may not actually have something to do with an upcoming movie you just won't realise it until the movie's out okay but not only that prominently on display in the queue area and everything like in one because it's in the, set in a collector's mansion so oh, like yeah. a new facility for the collector which is in the background of a Thor Ragnarok shot you know when Golden's like oh. well, brought me this building's behind him one of them's the collector's mansion that's oh, at DCA oh. right now um, but one of the things is Stormbreaker just says ancient as guardian hammer unknown origin currently sca- found during like a scavenge on a on a, a, a comet um still trying to figure out where it's from or whatever and it's like wait 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 is beta ray bill in the mcu i really is hope beta he ray is. Bill out there? <laughs> so that's quite cool give me that yeah. horse face motherfucker there's an ultron drone that uh, half an ultron drone in the cabinet that occasionally twitches um so stuff like that but yes it's so like uh with this, there's no big tag or anything saying, this is to do with the rest of the movies, this is to do with the upcoming movies. All you really get in this as a tag is, Spidey's very much part of this world now, and Stark is more than happy to call on him if he needs him. Because he almost becomes an Avenger at the end of the movie. Stark just goes like, yeah, almost. screw it. Here's an Iron Spider-Man armour. It's sort of like a... Which I thought was ugly as sin, by the way. So yeah, well, it, it, was like, it was like when they make a chrome, shiny version of an action yeah. figure as part of the set. And it sort of looked a bit like, because the darker colours, a bit like Miles' suit meets an Iron Spider suit. Yeah. And, but anyway, it was still kind of cool. Like, it was like, oh, that's awesome. He's made him a full-blown armour. Very cruel. And then you find, like, Peter thinks that the whole thing was a test, that they weren't going to do a public announcement. He just went a test. And he's like, yeah, sure. And off he goes. And then freaking Gwyneth Paltrow pops back in for a cameo. Pepper Potts appears and he's like, we've got, like, 50 journalists out there. Like, what... Have you got the kid? Like, where's the kid? Are we going to unveil the new Avenger? It's like, oh, shit, no. Um, so they're just going to, like, basically get engaged on stage instead. And also, clearly, Pepper Potts have a, uh, has got back together with Tony Stark. In yeah, it? after Civil, the start of Civil War suggests that they're having a difficult period after the events of Iron Man 3, and it's like, oh, man. Where Age of Ultron, I imagine, specifically would have been the nail in the coffin for them, too. Him creating a world-destroying robot. Um, but yeah, times there are changing. Uh, the timeline, however, is confused as fuck, but we'll get to that another time. We yeah. really dug it. Obviously, if you listen to these spoilers, you saw it, so... Let us know what you think about Spider-Man Homecoming. Let us know in the emails. And next are we heek. Next are we heek. Speaking of emails, let's do, let's do a few emails. Something. Yeah. Oh, well, first we've got a quick one, a little quick one from Twitter. Hi, Twitter. From, from, from Daniel Potter, at Lego Book on Twitter. Hey! Um, quick question. What are your thoughts on Steelbook editions of movies? Ooh. Um, pretty. Uh... They're just the discs in a better case. Yeah. 
Um, I know some people who collect them, and I'm like, how can you afford it? Because sometimes they're yeah. like exclusive to Zavi and well, I don't know. HMV I, and I Amazon. Picked up, I picked up. Uh, um, actually, my girlfriend picked up the uh, the Mummy trilogy on DVD in a steel book for three pounds from CEX. Shut up! Seriously, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Is that Blu-ray? No, that's DVD. DVD, but even so, like yeah. three movies and a still book DVD. Bloody hell. Yeah. That's not bad at all. Although you do have to get to me the Dragon Emperor, so. Yeah. Which I've done that scene, so I suppose we should dive into that. Oh, that's, oh. that's a tell for a bargain bin. Yeah, um, I think so. So, so I, uh, yeah, I mean, I recently bought Series 2 of Doctor Who, the Steelbook versions they've started putting out. Yeah, they Mostly because really it's Blu-ray of the DVD modern series that I don't have on a Blu-ray version mm-hmm. for a relatively cheap Steelbook price. And also, they just look pretty. I was just going to get Series 1, and then Series 1 sold so well, they got Series 2 out quicker than they were obviously planning. Yeah. And I went, oh, hang on. It's cheaper now that already this past week it's gone up since I bought it for like seven ninety nine. So I'm glad I got yeah. it when I got it. Oh, that's real cheap. Fun. They're really pretty. Yeah. Like I, I well, one of the, the the full price uh, was twenty five quid. Ah, okay. But that's a three disc Blu Ray season of a TV show in a steelbook. Shit, yeah. Um. So yeah, and they're also more compact than they have been before. And it, I mean, they look good. We watched some series one on the on the Blu Ray upscale. And it looks quite nice. See, I won't I won't search out a steelbook, but I ain't going to say no if one comes my way. I used to have a. Steelbook version of Devil May Cry 4 from PS3. Yeah. That was quite nice. When they look pretty, they look pretty. I had a Steelbook. Not a Steelbook, I had a tin Gears of War 2. Oh, yeah, I remember. No, no. Steelbook Gears of War 2, tin Gears of War 1. Yeah, I remember the the tin edition. So this is a massive fucking version of the box with all these extra. They're usually like art cards and like badges and things like that. Just Mm -hmm. these extra little treats. And a Steelbook Halo 3, I think, as well. You got still yeah, Halo I had the, the collected edition of Halo Three, um, so, but yeah, I don't stick them out, but they are quite nice. I might, I might look into it. I might look into getting some more. Um, right, let's get into these emails. Uh, we got through. We can get through these three. That's fine. Emails. Um, go through the emails. Chris Warner has uh, got in touch with us and says, "Hello, big damn true believers." Um, whilst I'm aware that this is Spider Month, a piece of news came to my attention that I'd figured you'd want to chime in on if yes. you haven't already. Apparently, Kalara is confirmed to return in the Christmas special. Uh, While she was Peter's main companion and technically met the first Doctor, what's your opinion on in, on this news? And what will the plot need her to be this time? <laughs> Thanks, and I'm looking forward to hearing your responses and seeing what Spider Month has in store. By the way, love the uh, the Cadicurus cameo. Uh, thanks once again, Chris Warner. Uh, thanks for getting in touch, Chris. Glad you're enjoying Spider Month and all bits Break and pieces. Break Spider Month, baby. Clara. Yeah, there's some set photo. Well, apparently someone announced it on Radio Two or whatever. Just mentioned that she's in it. Then a set photo seems to have leaked of what looks like her on site, plus someone says they've seen her in Cardiff. Um, I would expect there to be some appearance from her in some form as part of this regeneration, so... Which is a shame, because the regenerations all don't have to do that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I kind of didn't mind... um, It's become traditional. Eleventh Doctor hallucinating... Amy, but I think it would have been better and more effective, although, to be fair, she was older at this point, so it'd be hard to sell it. It would have been a bit more effective to see Amelia in that moment, you know, just like little yeah. young game because the first face this face ever saw, all that sort of stuff. I don't, like, because oh. again, the rumour the rumor extends to not only Clara, but Bill and Nardole popping up in some way. Now, I'll tell you this, for now, 
considering it's Christmas, if they were doing some kind of Ghost of Christmas Past, Present and Future sort of thing, maybe? Oh, yeah, that'd be neat. Then that'd be neat, because then they're not really in it, but it's all part of the whatever. But at the same time, it can't be hallucination, because unless it's a shared hallucination, and his first incarnation's gotten high as balls, you can see him as well. I'm not sure how that'll work. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see how it plays I'm just, out. I'm just like, ugh. Her being in the finale, in the Christmas special just makes me wish even more that we'd move on to the next era. Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> um, Tom Monty! Tom Monty! Move your body real close to the keyboard and type an email. Dearest Chris and Matt, due to the fact that there was no time for the email section last week, my previous email has sort of been made redundant due to the fact that it focused heavily on episode 11 of Doctor Who and speculation about episode 12. Oh, well. No, don't worry, Tom. We got to it. I'll be slightly late. Um... I hope you both enjoyed the finale. I certainly did. I particularly enjoyed Capaldi's final moments in the TARDIS where he said he can't keep being somebody else. That made me tear up a bit and I loved the way Pete said no when his hands started glowing. Pete's hair and the music was brilliant. <laughs> this two parties... hair and the music. Well, it was brilliant. The music was... He's got a lovely buffon, but the, his the hair... The music was okay. The music was okay. Um... <laughs> Uh, uh, well, um, the two-parter soundtrack stood out to me. The operatic tunes and also the trumpets at the end when Dave Bradley came out of the snow! Old Dave Bradley. Yeah, spoiler alert for Doctor Who last week if you haven't watched it. Oh, uh, well. Dave Bradley! Tough shit. <laughs> um, it's been spoiled for you. I, I, to me, that's not much of a spoiler. Like, it's, it's him. It's the, <laughs> it's that guy. David Bradloyer. He's that guy. He's tinsel on a tree. Um, <laughs> it's a shame Moffat's, in my opinion, best finale was his last. Uh, <laughs> what did you think of John Sims' contribution to this two-parter? Do you think he was underplayed? That was all right. Yeah, I mean, it seems... It, Didn't set uh, my world on fire. It's a shame that his character had such a definitive ending with the end of time, because had there been another master in between, maybe, it probably would have worked better for me. Yeah. Because um, like, I will never stand with the Doctor, he says, even though the last thing we saw him doing was standing with the Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> it just seems really odd. Although I will say, their joint death is a great idea. Like... She's like, do you know what? I think we finally, we're finally changing our tune. We're redeemed. So he kills her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to make sure that never happens after she's killed him. Like, oh, you know, stabbed him and he's bleeding out. Like, that was, that was cool. It will only really be effective if the Master never comes back. Which we know he will, because yeah. he always bloody does. Yeah. Like, it, it'll only be effective if they didn't come back, because of course the idea is that, oh god, the Doctor will never know that she did change sides. She fought on his side at the end. Mm -hmm. And that's the last thing she ever did. Like, that would be a perfect ending for the character. But yeah, I don't know. I imagine Chibnall doesn't have any desire to immediately bring that character back, but, like, later down the line, someone might do something with them. Yeah. Um, I thought it was... They were kind of wasted in the, oh my god, big reveal, the master, and then he's just kind of there. My favourite thing about the finale was just the idea that they didn't reverse really until the end, in a way. Bill being a Cyberman. They didn't make it so that it was like, oh yeah, you can be undone as a Cyberman like that. Because even at the end, she wasn't saved. She was changed into something else. Yeah. Um, so it's like, fair enough. 
But like, I like the the narrative device. I think it was Paul Mackey's best performance in the series. I I thought Paul Mackey was great. And the way the actors subtly reacted to her, like when we could see her on screen, the rest of them were all still acting as though they were with this metal creature. Yeah. Like yeah. pacing wise and stuff, they played it slightly <clears throat> differently because you have to. Because obviously she's saying like, "What's happened to me?" What really be happening is, what has happened to me? So obviously they couldn't leave massive gaps, but, you know, it was, it was performance-wise, it was one of the stronger episodes of the series. How did you feel about him being reluctant to regenerate? I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I think it's almost because they've gone, I, I think Stephen said since, like, the Tenth Doctor didn't want to regenerate, let's explore that a bit more. And it's like, no, the Tenth Doctor didn't want to regenerate because he was a selfish, like, hero type. Yeah. He was like, no, I'm a small brat. I want to be me forever. Like, that was him. Why? What? No. And then Stephen retconned it. So the reason he didn't want to change is because he didn't want to go to Trenzalore. I don't want to go has a different meaning after Day of the Doctor. Uh, whatever. <sighs> whatever. Um, oh, do you think the Master is now dead? If not, how many years do you think it will be till he, she comes back? I hope, um, I hope none. I hope, I hope that's it. I hope, I hope that's it. But it won't be. And they'll be back at some point. Whenever a writer feels like using them, they'll be back. So it could be tomorrow. Who knows? I think the only um, way you could get away with it is if it's a, a prior incarnation we didn't know about. Or if it is the next incarnation but like they have no recollection of what happened to them. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like then it then you could make it work, but I don't know. How did you feel about Bill's exit? One thing I noticed is how Pete didn't seem to question where she was after he woke up, unless he was conscious during all the kissing and stuff. I think he just... I think he's just generally confused. Yeah, like he's, going on. he started regenerating um, from the lethal hug, I guess. Mm. That's the regeneration. Began, like his body started to repair itself and then him getting shot by the Cyberman, that began the regeneration. Yeah. But Missy early in the series is like, she can sense something's wrong with him. So it's like, wait, is he, was he already regenerating? Yeah, I think he must have been. What the hell is it? They don't make it clear. I, they don't. They never Nothing will has do. been made clear. Um... Nadol made me feel very sad this episode. Do you guys think he's gone for good? Probably. Again, I think it would be sensible to not carry the story on for that character because it's quite a nice exit. Like, he sort of mm. accepts that his friend's going to sacrifice himself and he's like, no, I'll I'll do it. Like, I'll do it. He, the Doctor's like, no, I've got it. Listen to there and Nadol just goes, fine. And I love the fact that he's like, I'm going to name a town after you. A really rubbish one. And a goat or something like that. <laughs> like, yeah, I can't really say, but, you know, he sort of basically says like, oh, God, like, fine, go be the hero, whatever. Because um, also, Nardo's story's not over. They're not safe. Eventually, the Cybermen will, like, the old school ones, will yeah, find a way to yeah. work up to the next floor that they can get to. Yeah. It's now just a case of a little race against time. Like, they will travel some floors at a time, and then they'll settle for a while, and they'll travel some floors, and they'll settle. So maybe they'll get out, maybe they won't. Um, but I think that's an open-ended story. Leave it as it is. The same way, like, Jack coming back to life at the end of Part of the Ways was like, oh my god, I wonder what happens now. Like, later on we find out sort of what happened. Mm-hmm. But like, I think Nardo will leave it be. That's a really cool, interesting place to leave, leave that be. character's story. Um, and it also means Series 10 has this special little thing of, oh, Series 10, of oh, the year with Bill and Nardo. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like it used to be where it was like, oh yeah, the year with the Ninth Doctor. Oh yeah, the year with Rose and the Tenth Doctor. Oh, the year with Mom. Oh, the year with Donna. Like, you know, it'd be nice to go back to that kind of vibe. Are you both excited for Christmas now? Oh, God, it's Tom Monty. What direction do you think it's headed in, in terms of story? What do you think the title will be called? Um, I've no idea. I hope it doesn't have headed. the word Doctor in the title. It probably will do. 
It'll be it'll be some kind of play on multiple doctors. Um, I don't know what the title will be. Uh, I'm excited for it. I'm curious. I'm, not I'm excited. curious. I think yeah. that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. I'm curious. This felt like a better ending for his character. It wasn't a big spectacle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was quite personal and quiet because yeah, it all was happening on one floor of a spaceship, and it wasn't the fate of the galaxy. It was just the fate of that small group of people. That would have been a lot more. That would have been a lot different from what we've seen in recent years. That would have been quite cool. Because again, you're like, okay, you could say the same thing happened with Trenzalore and the town of Christmas, but oh, no, he wasn't just God, defending that. that so he wasn't just defending that town. Dumb. He was defending Gallifrey and this and the other. So, you know, there are ways. There are ways to do it, um, and that would have been interesting. I don't know. Let's let's see how it goes. Let's I just, see. I just don't want Stephen sticking his oar in again. He's gonna stick it in with he a loves cla- with, a, with something in. from early because. You you you'll probably know this a bit better than I do because uh, you somehow miraculously have a copy of Tenth Planet episode four. But um, <laughs> oh God, you gonna you gonna you gonna give it back to the BBC at any point? Uh, they but found like, it, didn't they? N- not all like there's bits of it and it's really grainy as fudge. Because if you watch it, I thought that's why they did bits it on it. DVD. Uh, no, they've they've re they've retconned animated it, like animated yeah. and, and stills with audio. Oh, okay. They've got all the audio and everything, but um, like. I'm worrying that this is that bit with him, like Ben and Polly, isn't it, at that point, about yeah, the TARDIS, yeah. and he's heading back to the TARDIS. And I'm worried that, like, cause when he said, like, no, no change, I don't wish to change, no, 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 it's basically, it's him on the way to his regeneration. Yeah. So you're about to tell me that he's going to have a whole other adventure during his regeneration? Because of Probably. course they will, because they'll be like, yeah, because both of them are technically about to change. And for him, it's for the first time, and for him, it's for the first time, and they're not wanting to, even though we've seen that before. I'm, I'm curious, but... I'm, I'm kind of dreading it. I'm kind of, I'm kind of dreading it. I just want to know who the next one is and when can that series start? Well. Well. Wellity, wellity. No, Doctor Who for six whole months Wait, 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 wait. Tom, Tom Monty, what, what is that? Do you think number 13's actor will be kept a secret until the big day? Have a lovely week, Tom Monty. Tom Monty this week was played by Tim Curry. Ha <laughs> ha! Um... I I wish for once we wouldn't find out until the broadcast. Yeah, I'd love them to keep it a secret. Whether they'll be able to, whether the, whether the fan... The only the way that works... Fans, inverted mm, commas, will let them. The only way yeah. that would work is if it was a big name that we recognise. Because then we'd all go, oh shit, they're playing them! Uh, or if it was a big change, finally. If it was an actor of colour or a female actor... Like that would be the only way that keeping or it secret. Chris Marshall. <laughs> no, that's the It'll only. Way, that's the only way that keeping it secret would be. That's all we like, deserve. Would be an event on the night. You know, if it was a name or someone now very physically different from the usual style of the casting. Yeah, Chris Marshall. However, if it was an unknown actor who's He's the most unique actor to play, don't you? If it was yet another white male actor, but an unknown one, I think you have. Yeah, so to, Chris Marshall. I think you. I think you. <laughs> Phoenix is gonna love you. I, I think. I think if it was a white male unknown actor, you'd have to announce who they were ahead of it for people to be remotely fussed. Do you know what I mean? That's what they did with Matt Smith. They gave us a year to process that it was this unknown with a head like a kidney bean. So we just yeah. <laughs> so by the time that episode came out, oh. we'd be like, oh, and here's where Matt Smith first appears. I'm Matt see it. Smith with your face like a removed kidney. Matt Smith <laughs> with your face. Like a pensioner's recollection. <laughs> um, Matt Smith, with your jaw like a welder's friend. We've got one last very important email. Matt Smith, with your ears like 
a streamlined glider. Lewis Christian. <gasps> Will we endorse Says hi. News? Hi, I'm baby! Just, I'm just emailing to say hi, because I haven't checked in with you guys for a while. I hope you're doing well. No, we, we, both, we both died. Tally-ho. Pip-pip. Did he just email in to check in on us? Yeah. That's very sweet. And let me tell you how we've been doing, Lewis Christian. Hey. We've been crashing it up. Oh. With Crash Bandicoot. Wait, are we slipping in a review insane or... insane trilogy. No, hang on. And if you're stuck, I've got some codes no, wait. for Crash Bandicoot that Man, will no. help you... No, we got through this. All the way. You brought me back to this, Christopher. Okay. You... I was out. <laughs> and you got me hooked again. So now just, you're gonna just fucking when, sit there and we, listen to me sort tell you just when we the thought he was out. I pulled him back. Bandicoot, right? So fucking sit there and take this like a man, right? right. It's the Godfather Crash three. Bandicoot Cheat super password. Oh, right on the main menu. Yeah. Enter the password screen. You'll notice that there is only one line. Don't fret because as soon as you enter the first two triangles, it will expand. To three. Oh, God. It gives access to any level. Oh, God. 100% complete score. What? Both keys. Yeah. And all gems. But if I remember correctly, you can't say... Shut up. Okay. <laughs> I'm telling you the code now. Okay. So you shut your damn mouth. Okay. Triangle, 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 triangle... Cross, square, triangle, 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 triangle. If you'd like to get in touch during the week, bigdamncontact at gmail.com is how you can email us. Let us know what you thought of Spider-Man Homecoming. I will shove this cheat book up your ass so far you will be able to taste it on your back teeth. If you want to tweet us, it's at bigdamncast. Right. And uh, also, we'll be back next week. Got a new Big Damn Love coming out in a couple of days, all about Spider-Man from Matt, and then uh, some more spider treats this Big Damn Spider Month. We'll, we'll hear from you next week. No, no, Lou. Let's go. We're going straight up. What? Already one. Wait, what are you doing with two? You... A three. Oh, up to the elbow already. Jesus. Puppeteering!